Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Fan Midday Show on a Tuesday from the DriveHuber.com studios. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, and Eddie Garrison coming to you from the Circle in downtown Indianapolis. Reds fall last night. We'll get into that a little bit later throughout the show. Of course, we'll have Eddie's really? you gotta, Reds update. You got to lead say, off with Did that? you hear that, Eddie? I, they lost. I know. <laughs> I even told Jimmy they'd lose yesterday. He did. I bet on them all the same. See where that got me. <laughs> We'll go into that and a review of our bets a little bit later. We did hit our soccer bet, though. We'll go into that again towards the back end of the show. But James Boyd is back in here. Always good to have him on a weekly basis. First time since the NBA draft. James also had a great column up on The Athletic regarding the contract situations with Jonathan Taylor. That's something we'll dive into as well. But we'll start first with the Indiana Pacers. We've hit on this a number of times the last couple of days. But, James, I want to get your perspective as a former beat writer for the team and also a basketball connoisseur in your own right. We mentioned a little bit before we started the program today that you like to fit a Jairus Walker. Ben Shepard's intriguing and what they do with the rest of their picks in terms of who gets two-way deals, who is on permanent basis with the team, and how everything plays out in Summer League remains to be seen. Free agency's right around the corner. Start first with those first two selections in Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard. Eddie and I have talked about it. It makes a lot of sense from a front court pairing to be able to have Miles Turner and Walker together. They're not going to be as formidable as you'd expect right off the gate unless Walker is able to perform right out of the gate. And then Ben Shepard, uncertain where his role will be day one, but obviously a perimeter presence the Pacers hope is a part of this move forward into the potential playoff picture next year. Yeah, I thought there were two solid picks addressing team needs. Specifically with Jairus Walker, I like that he's sort of a bruiser type, versatile, can do a little bit of everything, and someone who obviously they needed, I think, more so on the defensive end than the offensive end. And he's someone who has drawn comparisons to Aaron Gordon. If people watch the finals, you know that Aaron Gordon really had a big factor in them winning. He was just bullying people, catching lobs, doing all the things that – matter when it comes to winning at the highest level. So I think that's a great pickup for them. Now, he has a lot of upside as well. You'd like to see what he can develop into, but I would just say right now what he brings is definitely something that uh, is welcome. And Tyrese Halliburton sorry, tweeted about it, said he likes it. I was like, if Tyrese likes it, <laughs> you made a good choice. So that was good. And then I thought with Ben Shepard, I mean, the guy can shoot, or as my pops would say, that guy can shoot that thing. Because <laughs> I was, I mean, I was watching highlights and clips because I didn't know much about the guy. I won't pretend like I watched a bunch of Belmont games last year, but he can really light it up. And I think that when it comes to NBA basketball, you can never have enough shooting. Now, as we talked about off air before we came on, where he fits in year one remains to be seen. You know, you have pretty good guard rotation already obviously Tyrese Benedict Matherin Andrew Nimhart, Chris Duarte is still there Buddy Heald you know need I forget so there's gonna be so, sort of a log jam at that position but again you can never have enough outside shooting and someone who could potentially give you some instant offense off the bench we know as well as anybody lying season is year-round it's especially amplified around the draft but it extends as well with the NBA having 
the difference from the NFL, which is free agency comes after the draft. We discussed this yesterday. One of the names that's going to be on the Pacers wish list, or at least on the rumor mill list for them, is going to be Harrison Barnes with the Sacramento Kings, a free agent here in just a couple of days once the tampering period, or however you want to phrase it, gets underway. More traction continues to flow with that. Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports kind of summarizing those details of potential interest with the Pacers being a strong contender for Harrison Barnes. There's obviously the Tyrese Halliburton connection there from their time in Sacramento. He brushed shoulders with Rick Carlisle when they were in Dallas. And from a fit standpoint, looking for a veteran wing, it would make a lot of sense. Money is an area of optimism for the Pacers this offseason with the amount of cap space that they have. And of course, the motivation to spend with the cap floor Again, I know you're primarily the Colts beat, but you're still able to get your regular fix of basketball when you can. Harrison Barnes, what, 31, 32 years old at this point, entering his 12th season in the NBA. Highlighted it yesterday. Three-point numbers are still solid for him. Still able to do what's asked of him on the defensive end. Was a good veteran presence for that Sacramento Kings team that, again, was... I don't want to say a surprise last year, but definitively the amount of momentum and wins they chalked up took the league by storm and surprised a lot of people. Barnes and his fit, knowing Rick Carlisle, knowing there's mutual interest with Tyrese Halliburton and what his game is today, does it make too much sense to actually be true? Or is this something that you could envision happening on your end if you're looking at building this roster? Yeah, I think this is feasible. We'll see, obviously, what the Kings do because I would imagine he would like to stay there first and foremost considering what they have and they're kind of up on the rise but if the money isn't available there obviously I think more money probably could be available in Indiana and the one thing that I do like about everything you said in addition to everything you said is that he doesn't miss games very often he's pretty durable he shows up pretty much every night he's played over 70 games I want to say I'm looking at it now one two three four five six seven eight nine times and you know out of his career and he's played you know over a decade in the league so that's someone that you want on your team I think that can show you how to be a pro how to take care of your body and obviously knock down some shots and I think also just that uh switchability that they talk about in the NBA so much he offers some Mm -hmm. of that he can guard some of the you know perimeter players can if he has to he can do some small ball four where he can guard some of those guys and keep them at bay and again he's a proven commodity now is he gonna come in and light it up and average 20 a game no but he can come in give you 15 a game most likely you know play solid defense knock down the long ball and be available pretty much every night so I think that's a a win for the Pacers if they were to get him and it'll make sense and then also for him you kind of just wonder when is is this the last time you're gonna be able to get a pretty sizable contract and if you can, you can get it where with a team that is on the rise. And I think with the addition of him, would have a legit chance to make the playoffs and obviously make some noise. As you look at the guard portion of this roster, and we look at two names that I have a soft spot in my heart for one, for a lot of different reasons. He's a favorite pacer among many in TJ McConnell. And then Chris Duarte has still never really materialized into the type of immediate impact player the Pacers thought he would be. Injuries have had to do with that as well, but some of it is just being played out of the rotation. As you look at who could potentially be an odd man out on this roster, specifically at that position, if we're simulating out the rest of this offseason, Duarte, McConnell, and Heal are all three of them still on this roster by the time we get to October? 
I think Buddy Hill will be here. Yep. I think that he just means too much to the team. His relationship with Tyrese Halliburton, the fact that he is one of the most prolific three-point shooters ever. You just want to give that up for nothing. Obviously, you wouldn't give it up for nothing, but I think you're better to have him than to not have him. When it comes to Duarte and McConnell, I'm not so sure. I still think McConnell offers a, a good veteran presence. Obviously, someone you can lean on to do the right things the right way. I would probably lean maybe to, more towards Duarte, but you have to wonder what is and I say Duarte being moved on from and you have to wonder what his trade value would even be because you don't want to just move on move on from him for nothing right but at the same time what could you get from him I I don't know if you could get you know very much for a player who um, has some promise has some skill can shoot the long ball but I mean as of late can't stay on the floor that's the biggest thing for him, and I think that's the biggest reason why he's sort of been the eye band out is you, he's gotten little opportunities, and you think, okay, he's finally turned that corner, and then it's an ankle, and then it's a shoulder, and it's, a, it, it's something else. So you just wonder how healthy he can be and if that's something you want to continue to invest your future in. Let's switch gears to the Colts for just a second. Yesterday, and this is the time of year where all the rankings and what did you do in the offseason and how are you looking at training camp start to come out. Bill Barnwell released his annual list of position players and where they stack up by comparison to the moves that were made this offseason, but also where they were a year ago. A lot of that is reflected on the struggles of Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor's inability to stay healthy, the offensive line being what it was. Let's start first with that wide receiver room, and it's a question that we've had a couple of times when you've been in here of how much of it do you blame on the quarterbacks last year and how much of it do you blame on the wide receivers not taking the leap that we expected them to take with the first portion of that as you look at this Colts wide receiver room as a local and understand the struggles that they had both because of the quarterback but also because of the fact that they just were not efficient offense across the board how much of that blame belongs on the non-rookies that are in that Colts wide receiver room in your mind? Going into when you're evaluating them for this season, because that's the hardest part of anyone in this front office is getting a clear evaluation for this wide receiver room, given that they were having myself and Eddie throw passes to them at one point in time last year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the hard part. You just wonder how much you can evaluate, how much you can give um as far as critiques when it comes to that room and I thought it was even it was kind of the reverse in OTAs in camp where the quarterbacks are available but then the wide receivers aren't so you just don't really know how to gauge that room so far but I would say um a lot of the onus would have to fall on you know the Pittmans of the world Alec Pierce even though he's going into year two like how do you kind of galvanize that group because it is different and even though we will focus a lot of our energy on the quarterback. Everyone who is in his vicinity, who's in that bubble, is going to get critiqued to hell as mm-hmm. well. So, I mean, yeah. um, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's a catch-22 where you get the guy and you hope that he can become the guy if you're the Colts. But at the same time, anything that uh, I, I guess is, is not perfect from your, point, your standpoint, your point of view, is going to be scrutinized even more because – can you imagine like the first drop pass we see from a player and when Anthony Richardson throws a dart? I mean, the, the backlash is going to be crazy. And so that's part of it too. And, I, and so I'd expect that there are going to be some growing pains there. But again, I will put a lot of uh, a lot on 
that room to have to really alleviate some pressure. And Michael Pittman Jr., you finally have potentially a quarterback that will be there for the entire season, be healthy. Um, I get it. Now, if it's Anthony Richardson, there's going to be some ups and downs. But at the same time, I don't think there's going to be nearly as many I don't want to say excuses. There are legit reasons why the the, the offense struggled last year. I mean, injuries, offensive yeah. line. But there just won't be so many reasons, I don't think, to why, why you can't produce. Let's go to the other side of the pass-catching spectrum and look at tight ends for just a second. This isn't completely fair because they've also dealt with their fair share of injuries. But Didn't my, see them. My, my bigger concern moving forward with this tight end group and it's going to be cut down it's not going to be the seven that are on the roster right now for a number of different (laughs) reasons uh nfl roster construction aside would be the paramount reason why that doesn't happen but looking at just for the sake of argument kylan granson moali cox delani woods what's more likely to happen with the development of anthony richardson and just with how this offense flows next year is it a rotational by committee approach or do you think somebody like jelani woods is able to actually come out and be the I don't want to say every down tight end, but be utilized more often than not. It doesn't have to be Woods. I'm just utilizing him because you would expect him to be near at the top of the depth chart going into training camp. Is it by committee or is it done in a way that there's actually a consistent tight end number one on this team? So I want to say Jelani Woods, and I'll feel probably more inclined to say that had I seen him, but he hasn't been out there, so it's hard to gauge. But I would say if I had to pick a scenario, I would lean more toward that one. I would think that they want to have – him take that leap, be that guy. Considering that he's going into year two, you don't know what the future holds in Mo Ali Cox as far as being with this franchise. He's been here a while. Um, you know, a good, I think a great locker room presence, obviously, but someone who I don't think he moved the needle enough to be like, he absolutely has to stay here. So you probably want to get younger at that position and see what you have in Jelani Woods. And then Kylan, to me, it's, it's kind of just a prove year for him. Yeah. I mean, Will Mallory is obviously going to get some looks as well. But for Kylan, it's kind of like you've had little flashes here and there, but can you have a really good season, something that kind of um, shows why they picked you to be sort of that pass-catching tight end? With Jelani, I think if he can improve on his blocking – and be that big body target, then, I mean, why would you take him off the field very often? Because he's a mismatch nightmare. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with what schemes he's going to be put in. I think Shane Steichen's going to do a great job probably of getting him open, at least making him uh, something that the defense has to focus in on. But on the flip side, will he do the dirty work as well as Molly Cox? Can he block as well as those guys and make sure that he can stay on the field when there are some tough running plays where – it's not a matter of you being faster or bigger than this guy to catch a ball. Is it you being faster or bigger than this guy to you know put him on the ground so you can make sure that your running back gets the first down? So I would lean more towards Lonnie Woods showing more responsibility, and I would say in an ideal world, that's what you'll want if you're the Colts' leadership. And to be clear, this is less on Woods as much as it is on the opportunities that have been available to Molly Cox the last couple of years, right. the opportunity that was available last season at times to Kylan Granson. With Woods, you're not judging him just like in the same way you're not doing it with Michael Pittman Jr. or Alec Pierce. There's only so much you can gauge of on-field performance with what was happening within that wide receiver room. And on top of that, you see it all the time in the last five, ten years of tight ends that like any pass-catching position, learning a new offense – very rarely is it instant success right out of the gate in year one. It's only a second year in the league, and we talked about patience all the time that's potentially going to be practiced around the NBA. In the NFL, 
especially with pass catchers and especially at that position when so much goes into it, like you mentioned, being able to be a better blocker, being in short and intermediate routes, but also being able to have clear target separation. There's a lot that goes into being a great tight end, and it's not fully fair to say that Jelani Woods at this point in time is by any means a finished product for what no. you or I and Eddie think he could be, which is a true tight end number one on this team. Yeah, I think that he could really be special, uh, seriously, because he's got the size, the speed, the hands. He's also got a great personality, work ethic. I think those help as well when you can be coachable, things like that. All the youngsters out there, listen to your coaches, your parents, because <laughs> he sounds like someone who – really gets it you know what I'm saying like it's not a lot of arrogance it's a lot of um I think quiet confidence and so again a lot of it will probably be just placed at the feet of Shane Steichen to see again beyond what you're going to do with Anthony Richardson what about the other guys I know that's going to be the main focus for all of us but there's part of me I have to tell myself as a beat writer make sure you're not having tunnel vision on the quarterback position to see how Shane Sykin is affecting the rest of the team as well. Jim Bob Cooter, Cam Turner, all of these um, new coaches that have been brought in, how are they fitting in? How is that affecting the team? And how is the other groups stepping up as far as being in a new system and ushering in a new era? The team that will be involved with joint practices with the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears were also listed on this Long range of raking the entire league by Bill Barnwell on position group. Bears were dead last going into the 2022 campaign. They rise up 14 spots to number 17 on this list. Is DJ Moore enough to really carry that load out in Chicago in your mind? I've made the comment that, and the same thing I'll say about Michael Pittman Jr., even though I think DJ Moore is a better all-around threat. More a lot of the time in Carolina, we're saying the same stuff about Kyle Kuzma out in Washington as a potential spot for a team like the Pacers of, well, somebody has to shine on a bad team. DJ Moore clearly has the speed and the separation to be a top-tier wide receiver, but I don't know that I'm willing to say he's enough to fully carry and transform this Bears offense into a middle or maybe back end of the lower tier pack of the NFC on your side of the coin, though, when you look at Moore, when you look at the Bears, when you look at Darnell Mooney moving over to a number two role, is that a fair evaluation to be a middle-of-the-pack offense with just plugging in DJ Moore and another year of development with Justin Fields to go along with their run game? Well, I'll say I'm glad I'm not in Chicago <laughs> with my family when I make this statement because you will have me getting beat up, Jimmy. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they are they swear that DJ Moore is like going to change everything. I he's think a he, great wide I receiver. think he upgrades them. I think he's a serious um, talent. But I don't think it's going to be as seamless as a transition as they make it seem in Chicago. And that's not like the beat writer. That means me my family. I'm just you know joking with my, my, my loved ones. <laughs> um, but no, I think that there will be marked improvement, but maybe not to the point where it, it all comes together so fast. I think that there's still some growing pains that Justin Fields has to go through, even though he showed some promise last year. The offensive line, which was atrocious last year, gave up the most sacks in the league. You upgraded that. Okay, that's good. But as we said with the Colts offensive line, people were asking me, how do they look? How do they look? No one knows about an offensive line until they get into an actual game week one. I don't even care about preseason because by that point, you're only going to get like two series. So you never really know how an offensive line is going to look until they're in the trenches. And so that's a big factor. 
on top of obviously making sure you deliver the ball to a guy like DJ Moore. So he upgrades them, but I don't know if it's to the extent that I would say like on that list you just said. I don't know about that much. Now, there's other changes they made, and it will be obviously a lot to see, you know, up close to personal during training camp when we see them. But but even then, I don't think that we're going to see a finished product by any means. I want to get into this next topic a little bit deeper when we come back from break. I know we're still a couple minutes off from that, but I'm teasing that because this has been flashing across the bottom line, and it will continue to do so until he puts his pen to paper. And that is Saquon Barkley out in New York. And I get it. First question for most listeners is, well, why are we talking about a New York running back? Because it could potentially have ramifications for if you're playing out the long game of what happens with Jonathan Taylor here in Indianapolis. Again, obviously, a lot of that can be put to bed if they end up deciding on an extension before the season starts or at any point in time, you know, before a contract expires and they're able to get a long-term deal done or at least a deal that's satisfactory to both parties. So this point might be a moot point a little bit, but another option on the table, if talks break down or if you're not wanting to pay a big extension, is utilizing the franchise tag. Le'Veon Bell tried this five years ago. Oh, man. Didn't work. Did not work because the tag is not built for players to win. It's not what it's there for. There for teams to be able to retain their top tier talent if contract negotiations break down or if they simply don't want to commit to a guy with long term money. I don't think this is necessarily any different with Saquon in that it's still the same end result if you're the Giants. If this is what you want to have happen with your 26, 27 year old running back, you are committed to this philosophy. But for the rest of the league, Does this have any impact on the mindset for running backs moving forward with how Saquon winds up handling this, regardless if he finally ends up signing it before camp or before the season starts? I think that there will be a ripple effect. I don't know if it'll ripple down to the Colts. As I wrote my piece, you all can check it out on The Athletic. It's a little more nuanced here because of the rookie contract that mm-hmm. Richardson is on because Jonathan Taylor is younger than a lot of these running backs we've been talking about. But, I mean, Saquon had a fantastic year last year, helps them win their first playoff game in over a decade. Two touchdowns in that game, by the way, and you say you're not worth this money. And I think that there has to be some type of – compromise on both ends because as a running back you cannot go in there asking for the 75 million dollars that Alvin Kamara got you know three years ago no you're not going to get that anymore like it's a new world unfortunately unless you're a pass catcher and even then it's hard to do yeah I mean because I would even venture to say the Saints don't feel all that great about still having to owe yep. Alvin Kamara, I believe, like almost $40 million on the back end of his contract, and he he's coming off in a kind of an injury-riddled year. Christian McCaffrey signed that deal and then immediately was hurt for two years, and only now that he's on a great team does it look like it's a pretty good deal again, but it looked awful for a while. People kind of forget. like We kind of go in these, uh, these news cycles where we kind of lose sight of people, but there were like people were really on Christian McCaffrey for being the injury-prone player. And last year was probably one of his healthiest seasons, and it was sort of a rarity after two years we only played 10 games total. And for me, though, I think both those things could be true without it being too reactionary. I mean, if you're a Carolina fan, you got scorned a bit by signing that deal because he wasn't able to hold up during the meat of that contract when you were wanting to have him as the face of your franchise. And then... It's hard not to fully disrespect Carolina here, but then he gets shipped off to San Francisco 
and he all of a sudden like he looks like the best player in the NFL yeah. when he's behind the best offense or one of the best offenses in the NFL. So that's 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 the trade off. That's the tough part. And so I you don't, don't want to ex- be that team, right? And so I don't expect. <laughs> That kind of money, because he got $64 million across four years. I believe Alvin Kamara was 75 over five or something like that, close to it. And so he's not getting something. And I, I feel very confident saying Jonathan Taylor will not get a contract north of $60 million. Now, if he could get somewhere, it's a three- to four-year range, you know, uh, 40 to $50 million, I think that that's probably as good as it will get for him. And personally, I probably wouldn't go if I'm the GM. I'm probably trying to line his contract up to right around when Richardson should be entering his prime or entering his early prime. And that, to me, will probably be three or four years. I would probably shudder at a five-year contract because I don't want to have to stick with you when you get to that you know, latter stage of your career. Now, I know John Taylor probably doesn't want to hear that, but... It's a it's it's a tough situation, and which I didn't harp on in my piece enough. I don't feel like looking back in hindsight, I should have uh, really fleshed it out and explained it. But he doesn't have that much leverage. He has a good amount of leverage, Jonathan Taylor, but the team still has the most, as they almost always do, because after this season they could franchise tag him and then tag him again and then kick him to the curb after that. So it's not like he's ever going to really have the chance to test his value on the open market, it will just become a case of Saquon Barkley, basically. Is he going to sign the tender or is he going to try to be the new age Le'Veon Bell where you just force your way out, but then you miss time? And so I, w- I don't know if we'll see a, a running back go the Le'Veon Bell route because it didn't, want, it didn't, work, it didn't work for Le'Veon Bell. It never really was the same after that. And – you're going to miss a ton of money. And, and at that position, you're not getting a ton of money as is. So, I mean, you got some things working for you for Jonathan Taylor, but at the end of the day, that RB next to your position makes it tough. I want to look a little bit more into that conversation when we come back. Still to come, we'll have a conversation with Charlie Goldsmith. Go both Reds and Bengals with Charlie. Covers them for the Inquirer. Also talk with Mike Chappell with Colts, Caitlin Cooper with Pacers. Plenty with us here on the Fan Midday Show. That's not even including Eddie's Reds Minute, as well as some bets to go through today as well on the Fan Midday Show. 075, the Fan. Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison. We're discussing Jonathan Taylor's contract situation a moment ago. James Boyd has a nice piece up on The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at RomeoVilleKid. Don't forget to subscribe there as well for all that information, not just on Jonathan Taylor, but the lead-ups to training camp, preseason, regular season opener, and beyond. You can get that with James Boyd over at The Athletic. We were trying to find a sweet spot between years and money for Jonathan Taylor and what's the most important in terms of those negotiations. And while everybody wants long-term job security, you mentioned trying to line it up with the development of Anthony Richardson to a point that perhaps by the time, if it's just for the sake of argument, a three-year deal, and Anthony Richardson's 24 at that point, really feeling comfortable within the flow of the NFL, and perhaps the Colts realize at that point we don't need a luxury high-end paid running back we are good with complimentary pieces around Anthony Richardson's game for me 
if you're trying to avoid long term, I want you to be Jonathan Taylor in this situation. Oh yes, that means I'm like very muscular. <laughs> a lot. Well, I would say a lot faster, but I've seen you hoop before, so I mean, I don't know. No, nah, not as fast as him. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, right now, the highest in the NFL currently, the highest annual evaluation for a running back in the NFL is Christian McCaffrey, sixteen million dollars. If we're offering Jonathan Taylor a three-year deal, but it's somewhere between eighteen and twenty million dollars a year. First, as the player, what's your reaction to that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> signing. Give me that. And secondly, as the observer and the reporter that from the eyes you gave the YouTube camera <laughs> uh, n- nearly jumped out of your body with that, that, that that's something I'm okay with. Like, if Seriously? You really, if you really... No way. If you really value Jonathan Taylor and the Colts really value him as a complimentary piece to Anthony Richardson's development over a three-year period... With where their cap space is right now, I don't mind a three-year deal even if I'm paying a premium price. Where I start to get squeamish is if it goes four or five years because that is where these ultimately end up in buyer's remorse. Look at Dalvin Cook, a 27-year-old. That Even if Alexander Madison played out of his mind, which he did at times in relief of Cook, that surprised everybody in this room, did it not? That they were just so open-minded to just let him go? I nope. mean... It, it surprised me. It, it never surprised Eddie, but it, but it did catch me by surprise in terms of how quick it happened. I was a little caught off guard, but that's then you if look you don't at, tag him. By the way, I'm taking right. a tag off the table right. because that's what I would do at the end of the day if contract negotiations break down. Tag him and move on. Right. But looking at Dalvin Cook's contract, I kind of get it. And then they have a quarterback that they already paid a ton of money. Yeah, great idea. So you're by the like, way. okay, well, Good call Vikings. I mean. <laughs> That's a whole different <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> I mean, we've said it before, but I don't think that Kirk Cousins is a quarterback I look at that says you can get me to the promised land. Don't know if that's going to happen. But when it, are you giving Eddie the look? I, I was looking. I was looking for hockey. It's okay. Yeah, okay, he, okay. He's in the zone. It's all right. <laughs> but I mean, I have to say, Jimmy, I would be totally out as a GM on paying Jonathan Taylor eighteen twenty million dollars. That's like what I would be trying to. Offer Pitt. Does he get 16? No. No. I think okay, Jonathan- so, that, so, so then he's not re-signing. Let's be clear here. Because if, if we're going three-year deal, I'm not... If I'm Jonathan Taylor now, if I'm taking on the role, I'm not signing for anything less oh. than 15, 16 oh. million dollars a year. And, and, and hey, I, I, I completely understand and that. And you and I are, pl- are pro player. I'm not saying yeah, you're not. I'm yeah, just saying... I'm just... If, that's lo- if it's lunacy what I'm saying right now, which I guess to be fair... I need to crunch the numbers again and look at if you're giving or if you're giving Michael Pittman Jr. a big time deal too, then maybe this wouldn't work at all. But you have to choose somewhere of how you want to retain him, and if it's right. not on the tag, where do you sweeten it? Money or years? Right. I, I agree. I think it. <laughs> I would probably it it have to be money, but not that much money. So I, you look at the, the valuations, right? Can I give them to you just so you have a baseline? Yeah. Who's who's first, second, and third? Let's go there. This is going into this season. Christian McCaffrey at sixteen million fifteen thousand dollars. Alvin Kamara at fifteen. Derek Henry at twelve point five. Bingo. That's all. That's Nick just, Chubb at twelve point two. There you go. Th- and th- those were two names you mentioned in the article. That's all. I, that's all I got to hear. Derek Henry is a cyborg. He has been great for like seems like forever. You know, it hasn't been forever. But obviously, like the last five years, he's been awesome. So I would just say, if he is getting twelve point five. JT 
I mean, at the most, they did make up for it with the length, though, right? We're not we're talking about a three year deal in this scenario. Derrick right. Henry at least got a little bit more security. I agree. I agree. Than what we're talking about for Jonathan but Taylor. Baby, hey, it is what it is. It's because to me, and this is where it can probably get contentious. I would go maximum of four years at thirteen million, and what's that? Fifty two. Yeah. If that's correct. Fifty two yep. million. Hey, there we go. Learn something in high school. But there you go. I mean, that would be my sweet spot. Get you right around, you know, where you're not getting disrespected, you're not getting lowballed, and that's a fair amount. And we have to consider you're coming off an injury riddled season. You're not as prolific as a cast a pass catcher as the top two guys who are getting paid that amount of money. You haven't had the years of sustained excellence of a Derrick Henry. You had one great season. How much are you guarantee? Of the fifty two, I would guarantee McCaffrey got thirty of his sixty four million guarantee. I mean, I would guarantee Henry got 25 of his 50 million. I'll guarantee him maybe 30 okay. of, the, of the 52. I think that that's a fair price. 25 to 30 will probably be my guess. Now, I get it. Obviously, guarantee, I think guaranteed money is a bigger sticking point than we actually give it credit for because we don't hear those numbers as often. We just hear like the total number. But that's probably what he wants as well. And so I think, again, Jonathan Taylor doesn't have the leverage. Now, if he was coming off, you know, 2021 – Obviously, it was a great season. If he had another great season in 2022, you would be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I've done this back-to-back now. I'm one of the best. But And that's where the player's trapped. The player's trapped because in almost any other sport, Jonathan Taylor could bet on himself this season. Yeah. He probably wouldn't need to bet on himself. I'm giving him $20 million. So it's probably a little bit too extreme. Right. But it is what it is. But, but he, he can't bet on himself no. because if he bets on himself this season and says, I'm going to go prove you that I'm 2021 Jonathan Taylor and his value goes up to the astronomical marks I was giving, what are you doing to him? You're tagging him. That's what I'm saying. Like he, and, then, and then just to remind the, the listeners out there, he's he has to play this year in his rookie deal. So he's not like going, like he, there's not a, a matter of do we tag him this year. He still has this year left on his rookie deal, which is, I don't even know, I think it's like $3 million or something like that. It's not very much. And then you go into next year, you can tag him. Tag projections for this season were $10 million for running backs. And that goes up incrementally. I don't know the percentage in front of me, but each time you tag a player, I think you can do it three times. Yeah, I believe it's it goes like, up like 20 I thought it was ridiculous. twice. It's twice. Is it you just can, twice? You just can tag him tags? twice, okay. and then it goes up 20% the second time. Okay. But again, he has to play this year. And then theoretically, he would have to get tagged next year. And then theoretically, you could tag him again the following year and then say goodbye. And by that point, he's 20. So, like, it's a tough situation to be in as a running back because you're never really free until you've already performed at your best on a rookie deal, most likely. That's the part that makes it tough for running backs is they peak early, at least statistically, and then you might still be pretty good late, but it doesn't warrant you getting the amount of money that you thought you would earlier in your career so that's my only thing and also JT I mean he was a workhorse at Wisconsin and I get it like no one cares about college but you care about it when you look at the workload and the amount of carries and so the older crowd might, might know who I'm talking about Doug Plank used to play for the Bears I interviewed him a long time ago YouTube him he used to hit people so hard it was ridiculous and I remember talking to him years ago when I was uh, doing some stuff in Northwest Indiana, he came and talked to one of the high schools. He said every player has a hit counter. Like, every player has a hit count. And once you reach it, you're done. Like, he's like, uh, everyone like an expiration is, date on milk. It's, yeah, it's different for sure. everybody. He was like, but everyone has a hit count. And every hit counts. He was saying, you might feel great. 
you know, when you're 23, 24, but he said, you better believe that every little ding you take piles up over the years. And again, JT could still be great for a very long time, but we cannot just ignore the fact that he also averaged, I believe, over 300 carries a year in college at Wisconsin, which we know Wisconsin just runs their running backs nonstop. I think that they just recruit running backs and they probably have a team full of running backs and just hope that you can throw like three passes and run the wing tee the entire time. I'm joking, but um, <laughs> they run a lot at Wisconsin. And so that is a factor. And again, if he comes back and bounces back and crushes this season and they haven't come to an agreement, then maybe he is like, okay, you owe me some more money. But I mean, I'm not rushing to pay him because – you were hurt last year, and it's your position. I want to add this in there because I don't think you guys have mentioned this yet. You look at Kamara and you look at McCaffrey, one and one and two. Those guys never leave the field. Jonathan Taylor's not a three-down back because he's not utilized in the pass game on third down. He's had trouble, especially last year, in blitz pickup. So if you're talking about, in Jimmy's scenario, you want to pay a guy and make him the top-paid running back at his position, to me, he needs to be an alien and just be on the field for every single play and be able to be have an impact in both the passing game and in the running game. And right now, Jonathan Taylor doesn't have an impact in the passing game as much as Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. By the way, to make up for my um, overvaluation on Jonathan Taylor, uh, I was right on the tag. This is from Sporting News. You can go three times. First time would be next season. And if you do it a second time, it's 120% of the previous season's salary. Then if you do it a third straight year, which doesn't happen very often, but if you did do it, you're looking at 144% increase say, you, from the previous year's salary. You know what I thought it was too? Because I, I would have to really look up, when was the last third? Like, seriously, when was the last time for a running back? Like, they probably never, I don't even know if that ever happened in NFL history. Seriously. I don't even know if a running back's gotten tagged twice. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a hefty... I mean, because the tag is great if you keep getting it, but the teams don't give it more than one or two times. That was so. the Kirk Cousins rule. Exactly. So we'll see. But I think that, just to kind of pump the brakes here, I do think that they will come to an agreement. There will be some sort of extension that the Colts are able to work out with Jonathan Taylor where both sides have to, like I said in my piece, you have to compromise a little bit. Maybe if you're the Colts, you give – an extra year on the deal, you you give them instead of three years, you give them four, and then for JT, you know maybe the money isn't exactly where you want it to be, but it's good enough to obviously have the generational wealth that you're seeking, and and you and you've had your I what I would believe is your one big payday in the NFL, and then both of you just hope that it clicks with Anthony Richardson, and then if it comes down to it in three or four years, you look up and, and AR is as great as you think he would become you say to JT hey you're welcome to stay here but we're not going to pay you as much as we you know have in the past there's other pathways that we could there's other pathways to re-sign him so I'm just putting out these two extremes of my discussion of overpaying him and I'm going to come down on that number here to make him the highest paid running back by annual valuation this year I don't have the figure in front of me for all time but Christian McCaffrey, average annual valuation is $16,015,000 roughly. If you were to go three years at sixteen one for Jonathan Taylor or five years at $12 million, that would put him in line with Nick Chubb or Joe Mixon. Three. Three at 16? I would do three at 16. Okay. I would. So, so, then, so then you don't have to go 17 to 20 like I'm giving away money for free. But if you were to make him the highest paid annual evaluator within – this current 2023 season, 16, 16 and 20,000 would get you there. 
You don't need to go fully 16-1. But that's where Christian McCaffrey is. If you're looking to have that, we'll call it a market reset, but if you're looking to have a big splash, have a good press release for everybody, that would be the pathway to do it then. Yeah, I could see that. I think that that's a, a fair. And again, that's one of those things where, again, you have to compromise. For, for In that example that you gave, the Colts gave more money, JT got less years, and I don't think anybody's going to be 100% thrilled or happy, but you also accept reality. And the reality is, JT, if you don't, do not get this extension now, you're probably never going to get it because they're just going to tag you. And I, and I get it. The Colts haven't tagged somebody since Pat McAfee. Never heard of that guy before. You know, <laughs> you know I don't know what he's up to these days. <laughs> heard he's doing pretty well for himself. But, again, just because they haven't done it in, I don't know, a decade or whatever, doesn't mean that they won't do it when they absolutely have to. And I think that this is a situation to do it because you want to keep the pieces, um, the skilled players who are very talented that you already have around Anthony Richardson. And so if that means tagging Jonathan Taylor, then so be it. That's that's the business side of it. And maybe that's something that the players can argue for or try to get flipped in the in the collective bargaining agreement. I don't see how that would ever change. But there this league as you pointed out, is just different than the others because you can tag them. I mean, if you could tag NBA players, we would never see as much star movement as we do. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, a star gets moved to the NBA, it seems like every business day. You know, every two business yeah. days. And so, this is not that with the NFL. You don't, That's not going to happen. If you get drafted by a team, it's very rare that you're going to be really good for them and they just let you go for nothing. They're going to tag you, and then when you charge a decline, then they'll kick you to the curb. The way that we can roll with this for a better perspective, we'll cover a lot of different bases with Charlie Goldsmith of the Inquirer who will take us through Bengals and Reds, but is there any remorse in Cincinnati at all amongst the fan base for what they're paying Mixon? And if not, I mean, that's, I think, a fair evaluation for what he's making. They went shorter on the salary, but he ends up with a four-year contract extension in that regard at $12 million. We can get into that. We'll return, though. I want to get James' perspective on the never-ending drama of one player in particular with the NBA and if yesterday provided any clarity for those of us that follow us closely. Oh, my goodness. That's next on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd with Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos here on the Fan Midday Show. Still to come, conversations with Charlie Goldsmith covering the Reds and the Bengals. Mike Chappell taking us through the countdown to Colts training camp. His evaluation on the ongoing, at least perceived conversations about what the Colts will do from a decision-making standpoint on Jonathan Taylor. And Caitlin Cooper will react to the Pacers draft and the countdown as well. The NBA Summer League and the impending arrival of NBA free agency. But we'll go big picture nationally for a second. It was supposed to be a moment, at least the way it was packaged to us, of clarity. Of a resolution, perhaps. That finally, out in Portland, with one Damian Lillard... And Joe Cronin, general manager of the Trailblazers, when they had a meeting tomorrow that perhaps there'd be more clarity and a a parting of the ways for the two of them, amicably. Instead, this from Chris Haynes, Joe Cronin issued a statement saying he met with Dame, as well as Aaron Goodwin this afternoon. We had great dialogue. We remain committed to building a winner around Dame. Close quote. James, we look at the Portland Trailblazers, look at how old Damian Lillard is. What type of building are we talking about here? I don't know. <laughs> we might as well talk about like building like those dressers or something when you first move to your first apartment because they're not building a championship team around him. You'll build some furniture. You'll build some, I don't know, some ticket sales. But at the end of the day, 
and I've said this off air, and it's not a shot at Dame. It's just the reality of the situation. The only small guard from this era that can be the best player on a championship team is Stephen Curry. You don't have a player on your team right now who can be the best player on a championship team. Damian Lillard cannot be the best player on a championship team. And so if you're Portland, you have to think, how do we go out and get that player? You can't do it. And if he doesn't want to go find that player, team up with him, which is fine. That's his choice. But I think it's it, a lot of these updates are just nothing. He said for the longest time he doesn't want to go anywhere. He doesn't want it to be easy. He wants to stay in Portland. He wants to do it there. I mean, he doesn't have to say it. I will. You're never going to win a championship there in Portland as the best player there. That's just not going to happen. And so until – I mean, he's going to break all the school records there and, and have a statue probably one day or something like that. But at the end of the day – trying to build a winner around Dane who's 33 years old is not realistic and I don't know what him or the team would expect to do immediately to make them a contender in the west no less I mean they're not going to be better than Denver whatever they do the Suns have all this star power they're not going to be better than them they're not going to be better than the Lakers next year I don't think so I mean what are we talking about neither side Wants to take the PR hit. We're not talking about practice, that's not, for sure. We're definitely not. We're not. We're almost not talking about a game either. We're talking about contract extensions and trade I mean, rumors. Here's the issue. Just extend the guy if that's going to be like. Just, I mean, they already did, but just spare me of, of all of this because this is pointless. Nobody wants to take the PR hit because if the Trailblazers really cared about Damian Lillard as much as they do, they would trade him tomorrow for the best available package, and they would sell it as a way of it was time for us to move on from Dame. We're yeah. on two different ways. But the other side of the coin is if Damian Lillard really, really, and he's proven it, right? I'm not trying to question his loyalty, but if he wanted to take said PR hit, he could come out and say, I love the city of Portland. I love what the amount of time I've been able to spend here, but we're on different timelines, and I need to move out. And nobody wants to publicly say that. Yeah, and he said... Because I, I listen to a lot of, you know, things on Damian Lillard. I think he's a great ambassador for the league, very yes. well-spoken, all those things. But he said on multiple podcasts, multiple occasions, that a ring is not the absolute most important thing to him as it is with, say, like a Kobe or something like that. Now, Kobe's like obviously the extreme of the extreme. But he was saying, you know, he's very content with having done it his way, tried as hard as he could, and – if he doesn't get a ring, he's not going to feel empty about it. Maybe other people around him will feel more upset about it than him. But for me personally, he's been saying for the longest time, I'm not going anywhere. This is no different. I do think that free agency could change a little bit of that. You know, you see what Portland can go out and do and if that's enough to keep him content. But even if it isn't, if he doesn't ask out, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're not going to win anything there. That's fine. You're just going to get a lot of stats there. You might get it, sneak into the playoffs. You'll be bounced pretty early, and that'll be that. And so that's fine. I mean, I have no issues with that. But at the same time, I don't want to hear about where he should be or where he could be when there's been multiple opportunities for this to have changed. And honestly, I still think even if they do do it now, it's too late. You should have did this like two or three years ago. I mean, after CJ McCollum was shipped off, they should have probably blew it up then because, I mean, they had no chance of winning – um, with C.J. McCollum. I mean, they made it to one Western Conference Finals, I believe. and Or actually, it might have been two. Um, but never got to the finals. You ship him off. You reload. I mean, Jeremy Grant's a good pick, but I mean, a good pickup, but he's not going to move the needle for a championship team. 
Not when you need him to be your number two best player. So And Dan made the decision at that point to stay. Like there's yeah. multiple yeah. times where he's had the opportunity to either force his way out or not sign an extension and he liked the loyalty pack. Right. And also let's not forget, he's getting paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. A lot of money. He's on like a Supermax deal yes. and it's gonna go up every single year. He is the poster child for what the NBA wants Supermaxes to be for exactly. franchises trying to keep and their so stars. So if you yep. told me I can make a lot of money in the same city I've been in and I don't have to move and all that type of stuff, it sounds very intriguing to me too. So I don't blame him. I think there's a difference between the ring being the be-all, end-all and there, him, him maybe being surprised, which I kind of am to this degree, him being surprised that they have gotten as bad as they are so quickly. They're not a competitive team anymore. When he signed that extension, there was still hope they could be competitive, albeit from our eyes, pretend competitive in that you're probably not winning the West, yeah, but not winning you're still anything. putting up a fight. Right. And now it's at a point where they're set for another rebuild. Yeah, so you're in the lottery. Scoot Henderson is your future. <laughs> and so, I mean, we could talk about it all day long until I'm blue in the face, which has never happened because... My complexion doesn't work that way, but um, I mean... And you're wearing a blue sweatshirt. I know. I got Indiana State on. Shout out to, uh, you know, the the legend Larry Bird. But no, I don't think that it can happen in in Portland, unfortunately for him. So, actually, not even unfortunately. He's getting paid a lot of money over there. So he's... What's the word for unfortunately but fortunately? Just in the middle? (laughs) Like... I mean, seriously. But well, he, he, it was fun while it lasted. He has, That's what I'm saying. He has the opportunity. It's not underwhelming, though. overwhelming. It's just whelmed. I'm whelmed <laughs> with him in Portland. The reason I don't feel bad about it, as we go to break, the reason I don't feel bad about it is all it would take is one of them coming to the table and being like, it's time. It's time to move on. We're in different directions. I don't know why we're fighting it. Let's find you a good home. Let's get ourselves some value. It could change with free agency. We'll see. Perhaps. But by, if this season starts and he's still on, on Portland, yeah. forget it. Just, maybe, just accept it. Maybe there'll be a seven seed next year with free agency. Who knows? Charlie Goldsmith <laughs> will join us of the Inquirer. We'll go through Reds. Even though it's a two-game losing streak, there's more optimism in Cincinnati. Three-game losing streak. Thank you, Eddie Garrison. Then there is still more optimism, however, than there has been in quite some time. We'll go that route. Also, look, Bengals big picture, as well as the comparisons, perhaps, with Joe Mixon, John and Taylor contract negotiations, how all that played out, how it might play out for the Colts on the fan. Inside the DriveHuber.com studios, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, along with Eddie Garrison. Thanks so much for spending part of your Tuesday with us. The highest of highs for the Cincinnati Reds just a few days ago. It's by no means the lowest of lows right now. Just a bit of a rough patch. Losing three in a row, falling out of the central lead for the time being. We'll get that and more, along with some Bengals talk with Charlie Goldsmith. Covers the Reds and the Bengals for the Inquirer. Charlie, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. Doing well. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. Can't complain. It's been a uh, nice Tuesday to this point, so appreciate you making some time for us to bring us up to speed on the latest with the Reds. We were talking a little bit with our producer extraordinaire, who's a diehard Reds fan. He's given us the lowdown on the lack of... I don't want to say consistency, but there's obviously been struggles from a health standpoint within the pitching staff. However, the explosion of just overall atmosphere at Great American Ballpark with the arrival of Ellie De La Cruz, the win streak wasn't going to last forever, as the Reds' Twitter account joked when the winning streak ended just a few nights ago. But as you look at where this team is at right now, now back in second place in the Central, and the opportunities afforded to them now, where do things stand with this ball club? Well, it's a team that's proven it has one of the best lineups in the division, probably the second best lineup in the division, and just a well-rounded, deep group of rookies who are going to be the the core of the Reds for the next five to seven years. 
And kind of the reason this year has been such a surprise is in baseball, you rarely have any rookie who is this good and this consistent. And the Reds have three of them, or really four of them, when you include pitcher Andrew Abbott, and then a group of uh, second- and third-year players as well that's carrying the lineup. The starting rotation due to injuries and you know different developments hasn't panned out in the way they hoped, which is the reason that they've lost the last couple games and the reason that they're you know not the favorites or not in first place in the NL Central right now. But overall, for a team that I predicted to win 68 games at the start of the season, it's definitely been a success so far. Charlie, how has Ellie De La Cruz galvanized this team and just given them that extra oomph, it seems like, you know, just to, throughout the season? Well, he's a star. And, you know, Joey Votto's a future Hall of Famer. But there's just a certain presence about the type of guy that Ellie De La Cruz is that the Reds haven't had probably since Barry Larkin in wow. the 90s and into the early 2000s. Um, Ellie De La Cruz has electrified the city. He's brought fans back to Great American Ballpark. He has had people who, you know, friends of mine, uh, people I see around town who, who haven't talked about the Reds in years, showing up at the park to see what the heck is this guy going to do tonight because there's never been a baseball player like him. I really mean this. I talked to some really, really smart baseball people, and uh, the comps you hear for this guy are Barry Bonds and Deion Sanders with his speed and Fernando Tatis and Mookie Betts and some of the and Alex Rodriguez some of the best and most talented players that we've seen in baseball and uh, again for a Reds team that has been looking for kind of a, a a reason to latch on as they went through a long rebuild Ellie De La Cruz has given everything a purpose and has helped you know take the Reds identity around town to another level so as a beat writer myself I'm always curious to see how a young person handles the immediate attention that comes with the success that they have, you know, when they're performing. So how have you seen him handle the spotlight that comes with being one of the best players in the MLB this season? So what's incredible about Ellie is, so in 2018, he's in the Dominican Republic. Back then, he's only like six foot one fifty, and nobody's ever heard of him. He's thinking about quitting because scouts wouldn't even look at him. In 2020, before he broke out, he was worried the Reds were going to release him. In 2021, the Reds don't even invite him to spring training. They just have him come to like their post-draft camp in July. And, you know, what's happened since then is the quickest star turn that you'll ever see. In, you know, two years ago, again, he wasn't even at spring training yet. At this point last year, he was an A-ball. So this has happened so fast for him. And you can really feel just the number one thing I would say about Ellie the joy and the appreciation and the energy and the enthusiasm that, you know, only someone who has burst onto the scene like this so quickly could understand. Um, He is extremely down to earth, extremely motivated, extremely bright and energetic. And he is just this fun presence for someone who, you know, that personality and that approach is really what saved him when it wasn't working out for him. And now, of course, combined with the incredible talent, has made him a really fun guy to be around. Charlie Goldsmith with us covers the Reds and the Bengals for the Inquirer. Charlie, we've talked a little bit about the Reds and their opportunity to be potentially buyers of the trade deadline if they really want to take a full swing at this and take advantage of the opportunity in front of them and getting back to the postseason. When you look at potential returns from injury, potential moves they could make at trade before the deadline, where would you rank order of importance for what this team needs to get back in order to not necessarily have a long win streak like they did, but have a sustainable stretch the rest of the way and the second half of the season where they're a postseason team of any kind, be it winning the Central or getting a wild card spot? 
So number one, number two, and number three are starting pitching. Their lineup, they have this incredible, and I mean incredible, prospect in AAA. Christian Encarnacion Strand. And one of the reasons that he's not in the big leagues, despite hitting like 340 this year, is that there's just not a spot for him in the lineup. What they need is pitching. Now the question is, do they want to go and, you know, get the Marcus Stroman, the Shane Bieber, the Dylan Cease, the top of the rotation guy, and go – all in, or do they want to say what's the best way to uh, maximize a, an overall like World Series timeline for them? Thinking when all these players get to their prime, I think that would be the smarter approach. I think the best thing they could do right now is you know at the trade deadline trade for a veteran on a one year deal, a Zach Granke, Jordan Montgomery, James Paxton type to kind of just shore up the rotation in the short term and give yourselves the best shot to be competitive this year. But I don't think you want to go too far, you know, just like the Colts shouldn't go all in trading future draft picks for, you know, a defensive lineman, you know, who's, you know, DeForest Buckner, but at this stage of his career with at this stage of where the Colts are at, um, the Reds can't go all in quite yet, I don't think, but I do think they can make some smaller moves to give them their best or a more realistic shot to stay competitive in the second half of the year. One move that sort of intrigues me is the extension or not extension of David Bell, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the manager. So how do you see those talks um, unfolding, and is it something that we should keep an eye on? Yeah, so David Bell, you rarely see this happen. Where So David Bell was hired in 2019, and the Reds, like they had a different front office back then. They made this massive all-in push in 2019 and really went too far in a way that the moves they made then, while it got them you know, a, a berth in an expanded playoffs in 2020 in an 83-win season, because of the moves they made to kind of go all-in, that's what started the rebuild in the first place. So, But to my point, they hired David Bell to manage that all-in team. Then he goes through a massive total rebuild, and he has to wear a completely different hat. And clearly he's done a lot of that really well because now here are the Reds ahead of schedule seeing the other side. He's now in a third like phase of his managing career, and it's really a testament to David Bell because you rarely see managers who have so much success in three completely different stages of where a team's at. That's really a testament to him. I think there's a, a great working relationship between the GM and the manager. The answer I just don't know is how ownership feels about this. They haven't wanted to talk about the subject. They haven't wanted, frankly, to talk to the media much after some comments from ownership over the last two years really turned off the fan base. Uh, The managing decision will ultimately come down to owner Bob Castellini and President Phil Castellini, and they haven't wanted to lean one way or another on how they feel about David. I think that that is certainly a question they have to answer by the end of the season, especially because, again, what you're seeing on the field and the relationship between David David Bell and the general manager Nick Kroll, you're seeing that work out so well. I do think it's a it's a question they should answer, you know, even before the All Star break. I realize that for most Reds fans, this is a welcomed, wonderful surprise with where things are at at this point and. Ellie De La Cruz being as good as advertised and the pieces kind of coming together over the last month or so. But since you brought it up, I wasn't sure if I would or not, but you brought up the fact that ownership and just the comments that have been made over the last couple of years for a number of different reasons have rubbed fans the wrong way. And I know that this is going to be a fun ride the rest of the season regardless, but mapping this thing out over the next couple of seasons, why should Reds fans feel different or more optimistic that the front office will get it right over this stretch building around this young core? 
Well, these are two different wings almost. So, well, Red's general manager, Nick Crawl, so he changed like everything about what the Reds do behind the scenes. For example, he prioritized scouting in the Dominican Republic and in Venezuela in a way that the Reds just weren't doing before. And who came from the Dominican Republic? Ellie De La Cruz. They prioritized guys in the draft that led to the direct decision to get Matt McClain. Like Nick Kroll has changed philosophically the types of players the Reds are looking to add and where they're looking for them to build this young, fast, dynamic team that is completely by design because that's how they've made, that's how he's made every decision over the last five years. So from a player acquisition, you know, uh, at the amateur level, there's total confidence in Nick Kroll building and continuing to build this roster because of how the Reds haven't had this much young talent since the the 90s, since they won the World Series in 1990, I think there's a lot of confidence there where there's still a question is, you know, what the Reds are missing right now is if in free agency they had went out and gotten two, you know, 32-year-old starting pitchers on one-year deals, they wouldn't be this desperate in their rotation right now. And the reason they didn't do that is because ownership didn't give Nick Kroll that flexibility. So the question is whether this success will lead to more of an openness from ownership to invest more in the big league club after three straight years where payroll has been chipped away at, chipped away at, chipped away at. That's the existential question of the Reds right now. Nick Kroll has done a great job getting the Reds to a point where they can be this competitive. But for any baseball team, at the end of the day, you need investment from ownership to take you over the top to get those veteran additions that you need. Just a couple seasons ago, Jonathan India was National League Rookie of the Year. Now he's been bouncing around between second and DH. What kind of role do you expect him to have in the future of the franchise? A huge one. I know that he's not having the best statistical season right now, but just the quality of the at-bats, the underlying numbers, um, what I'm hearing from the coaching staff is that, frankly, he's still one of their best hitters. Um, he's also one of their most experienced players, which is something that you don't see often for a third-year guy. But just what he's even seen in his three years in the Reds has been huge in you know mentoring, and he has become a mentor for guys like Steer and McLean and De La Cruz. The big question is what position he's going to play. Right now they have kind of a rotation going where India is mostly playing second, a little more DH. De La Cruz playing some short and some third. McLean playing short and second. Um, India was prepared and has prepared to play maybe even first and third if the Reds need him to. It'll be very interesting to see if in the offseason when India can kind of really attack this and learn you know, how to play the outfield, if the Reds explore playing him in left field will be one of the big questions of their offseason. But just from a lineup and a clubhouse and what he brings to the table perspective, and he's one of the biggest reasons the Reds are having the success they're having. Charlie, to pivot to the NFL side of things, we know you cover the Bengals as well. And so I guess the first thing I'll ask is, how do they feel about their season heading into it, knowing that Unlike here in Indianapolis, they have their guy. They know he's the guy. They know he's going to be there for a long time. How much confidence does that give them to just retool and uh, go after it again? Yeah, we joked about this, us writers, during OTAs. Like, of course there were storylines, but there weren't any huge questions because, (laughs) heck, the one one question there was was, 
You know, in previous years was the offensive line. The Bengals in the second half of the season last year before three starters got hurt, they really statistically, I test every way you want to look at it, had one of the best lines in the league. And then they get Orlando Brown, who's now the best lineman of that entire group. So it's just a team that very much knows who it is, knows what it's doing, knows exactly what it's good at, is a relentless machine of efficiency on both sides of the ball. And it's Super Bowl expectations. That's how they're making every decision from, you know, free agency to how to schedule practices. Every single decision they make is about winning a Super Bowl this year. When you look back at, and I know it was a different time in terms of where the Bengals really felt they were, but when you look back at the process that went through extending Joe Mixon, we're trying to, over the last couple of weeks, find what we would think would be a palatable or a fair evaluation for Jonathan Taylor and where the happy medium is between years and dollars, or do they just tag him? Uh, Take us back through that to present day of if there's any type of remorse or if there is a feeling of still, wow, we really got... One, not I want to say got one over, but while we really have a, a team-friendly deal with where Joe Mixon is compared to what he means and what his role is on this team. So the Bengals extended Mixon in 2020 during the summer. That was before Burrow had played a game. That was before Higgins had played a game. Um, Boyd was not making much at all back then. And the Bengals were coming off again, obviously, the worst season in the league getting the number one pick. And what I've been told about that move was it was twofold. It was like one they didn't have a lot of good players, so you had to keep the good players you had and start to build something organically in a way that would set the tone for what they hoped to and now have built with, you know, Burrow, Chase, Higgins, etc. Um, two, you know, how, how the deal is aged. For the last three years, I think they have gotten surplus value from Joe Mixon on his contract. Um, in 2020, he actually was hurt most of that year, but they were an awful team anyway. But in 2021, kind of what turned that season that nobody talked about as they went to the Super Bowl was they had a stretch in November where they proved they could really run the ball, and that changed everything how defenses played them, about how defenses played them. And then in the playoffs, the offensive line was terrible, but what changed the game against Tennessee and what changed the game for the offense against the Chiefs were touchdown drives that only happened because of the way the Bengals ran the ball. So Mixon was huge in 21, and then in 22, between week five and the end of the season, he was the most, the most efficient running back in football. I thought he had a really nice year. Like Now at this stage of his career, I don't think it's a surplus contract anymore, and that's why the Bengals explored moving in a different direction. But the way the contract was structured, they had flexibility. They still have flexibility to, you know, with barely any of any of it guaranteed. They can ask him to take a pay cut. They can explore different things. I wouldn't expect him to complete this deal going through next season because of the way it was structured. But to this point, I do think the Bengals have gotten their money's worth with Nixon. To that point, how much do you think getting the guy at quarterback gives you that flexibility? Because as we know, at least I feel like as, as fellow beat writers in the NFL – the one question that always has to be answered is quarterback. And when you answer that question as resounding as you do in Cincinnati with Joey B, as I like to call him, you know, Cool Joe, whatever is the nickname you want to call him. <laughs> I mean, how much is that flexibility does that give you as a team when you know pretty much anyone you surround this guy with, he'll probably make it work? I mean, that was a part of it, too. Like, so the new Burrow was on that rookie contract. They also had a very specific plan, like, Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan will draft or will put more, will have 
will have first-round wide receivers on their board ranked higher than other coaching staffs in front offices across the league. That's just how they value and analyze that position. That's why they went chase over Sewell. That's why they went Higgins when they really needed an offensive tackle or a linebacker. So they knew in 2020 that they had a plan to surround Burrow with wide receivers on rookie deals. So they were looking who can we pay at premium skill positions that won't overlap with the receivers we plan to draft? And that's where Joe Mixon came in. And again, I think so far it's been a you know it's been a surplus value deal. Probably going forward, it won't be. But at that point in Bengals history, again, when they just needed good players and people they could hand the ball to, um, they needed Mixon on that deal. And again, I think it's been a success so far. Charlie Goldsmith with us of the Inquirer covers the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals for them. Speaking of the quarterback position, how complex are these potential negotiations whenever they arrive for Joe Burrow? I think that we all believe that he will be a Bengal for the majority, if not all, of his career, that a long-term extension is likely inevitable. But, but how complex will these talks be, and what is the likelihood that something gets done before next offseason? Like you said, zero, zero doubt that Burrow will spend probably the rest of his career with the Bengals. Zero doubt that Burrow will sign an extension with the Bengals at some point. But these get more and more complex. You know, the thing on the Bengals' favor is, you know, the Allen and the Mahomes deals and most of these extensions don't get done until July and August anyway. Uh, But the complicating factor for the Bengals is that T. Higgins and Logan Wilson are in this class, you know, are in this draft class as well and are eligible for extensions at the same time. And you need to maintain as much flexibility before you get that Burrow deal done because you have no idea how much that flexibility will be eaten up by the guaranteed money you have to give to Burrow. So that's a complicating factor, but the sense I get is the Bengals are very secure right now, specifically in the idea that Burrow and Higgins are going to be with them for the long term. They plan on paying their stars. They have a long, long history of paying their best players at premium positions going back to the 80s, and they've been preparing for this, too. Like That's why they sold the naming rights to Paul Brown Stadium, and everything basically there is sponsored now. They have been acorning away money, preparing for this moment to give the most aggressive deals they can to keep their stars. So, in that same sense, could... Joe Burrow will be like, give me a fully guaranteed deal. And I'm joking. We, we went through this this saga already. But um, in all seriousness, I do want to ask when it comes to him as a player and as a person, how does he carry knowing he's the guy? You know, I think that he's just from afar. It's fascinating because it's it's like a there's a quiet confidence to it. There's not, I mean, maybe a hinge of like knowing I'm really good. So how do you see it from a perspective of being around him more often than I am, obviously? You know, the game I always go back to, it's actually a game they ended up losing in overtime. But in 2021, that year they made it to the Super Bowl, they're playing the 49ers. And, you know, that 49ers defense that year was the most talented defense I've ever seen in person. And the Bengals were down 14 with like 10 minutes left. And that was the kind of situation where like nobody on that team had ever won a game like that before in the NFL. Burrow, Higgins, Chase, they've never been a part of something like that in that type of adversity. And Burrow then just plays like backyard football and makes some of the most incredible plays I've seen to carry the Bengals on their back. And they, they take the game to overtime unprobably, and then they end up losing on a, on a field goal of the gun because Kittle made a crazy play. But there were just so many moments like that to get the Bengals to this point. 
Or just Burrow knew how to win in a way that a young quarterback shouldn't. And his playmaking, his instincts, his aggressiveness, his mentality, his feel, the way he reads defenses, like all of that accelerated the timeline for the Bengals so quickly. So now it's to the point where like last year in in New Orleans, they're down 10 in the fourth quarter on just a weird day, a weird game where it just wasn't clicking. And they just look around and they're like, all right, like they expect to win this game, and they did because Burrow threw a 60-yard touchdown to Chase with two minutes to go. Like they just do stuff like that. Like that's just who they are now, and that's because Burrow has such a long track record of being that guy. Maybe even earlier than he should have been. You know who that sounds like Jimmy. Who you know who it sounds like? Go ahead, Andrew Luck. I mean, obviously you want him to continue playing, but seriously. He's, he, it seems like he's coming and he's just figured it out a lot faster than um, quarterbacks usually do. No, I, I don't necessarily agree with that part of it of, you know, right away turning the dial and, and, and shifting where expectations of the pulse are. Obviously, a different wing of expectations at that time for the Colts versus where the Bengals are, but the immediacy of the results speak for themselves. There's no doubt about that. Charlie Goldsmith taking some time with us here on The Fan. Charlie, as you look at the AFC North after this offseason, I know there's still a couple things to be fine-tuned, but how competitive do you expect this division to be? Another year of Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. Lamar Jackson obviously needs to stay healthy, but he has an extension done away with Kenny Pickett's in Pittsburgh. Uh, how do you feel about the stats uh, and, and the way things could project out on the AFC North? I think it's a great division. I think it's right up there with the AFC East. I don't think the Ravens have gotten nearly enough credit for the type of team they are. No defense in all of football last year gave the Bengals a tougher time. They played them three times, and on every single drive, the Bengals had to scratch and claw for every point. They lost one of those matchups. Um, they won in Week 18 when the Ravens were resting half their starters, but that was a game that was harder than it should have been. And then it took the greatest play in franchise history, a 100-yard fumble return for a touchdown by the defense to beat the Ravens in the playoffs. So you combine that unit with a great coordinator, with great safety, so much athleticism, a young, dynamic, edge-shedding pass rush, Combine that with an offense that now has the resources and the players and the like decision to uh, attack the Bengals or attack every team more aggressively down the field. I think the Ravens are going to be really good and challenge the Bengals all year. The Browns have maybe the best pass rush in the division. Um, that can really fix some of their issues specifically with how they've invested on the interior defensive line. If they're a better run defense this year, the floor of that team raises dramatically. And then the Steelers, I mean, when they had T.J. Watt last year, they were incredible. Um, if you take out that stretch that he missed. Um, I have concerns about their corners. I'd probably have them fourth in the division right now. They might have the second-best group of skill position players behind the Bengals. I really like Fryermuth. I think Pickens is going to have a much better year in year two. Allen Robinson gives them something. I still have Najee Harris stock. Pickett might not be the most talented, but like he has the intangibles you want from a quarterback. I think it's four teams that have a realistic you know, they can go into the season saying they can win the division. The Bengals are the favorite, but again, it's a very deep division. Charlie, when you look at what happened last year with DeMar Hamlin, obviously we were all witnesses to what happened, um, the Bengals being a part of that game. We've talked a lot about how it affected the Bills. How did that affect the Bengals, and how do you see them kind of coming out of that, I don't want to say fog, but just a really weird scenario where – you were rolling throughout the season, this happens, and then you have a bunch of scenarios thrown at you. And obviously they went out there and performed and, and still did it, in, I thought, in a, a very respectable way. But how much does this season just feel like a breath of fresh air to hopefully you know, never have to experience something like that again? 
I'll be honest with you. Like, it, it was a very, obviously, it was a very strange, a very weird week. What was interesting to me is, so, like, on Wednesday, you hear players of, you know, during that week, you hear players saying they're not sure they want to play on Sunday. Then Thursday, it, like, the news comes out that tomorrow's going to be fine and everything switches, you know, the mindset. And then late Thursday night, like, they announced, like, the new tiebreaker procedures and, you know, just speaking objectively here, they were very much against the Bengals in their favor yeah. with different tie-breaking procedures. And, like, so all of a sudden, in like an hour, the whole mindset switches to the Bengals are the underdog, the Bengals are the team that no one believes in, no one respects, uh, no one gives any credit to. And, like, that was the seed of, like, this this massive chip on their shoulder that they were just like very vocal about for the rest of the season. So like in a very indirect way, because of those tie breaking procedures, like that kind of created this identity that the Bengals were very vocal about for the rest of the season. And now though, they, they know that no one's doubting them. Like they're, they're now very well established as one of the best teams in football. My last question, and it's not even really a question. Um, how long did it take you to spell Cincinnati correctly? Because I, <laughs> I, I finally have it myself, but I just feel like the amount of tweets you must get with Cincinnati spelled wrong must be astronomical. So I'm from here, so I, I, oh, I, nice. I did have it down. Um, the, my biggest pet peeve, just to give you a heads up, is sometimes it goes by Cincy. You know, like Cincy makes sense, right? Yep. That's C-I-N-C-Y. So if you're using the shortened Cincy, it ends with a Y, not an I. Right, gotcha. Yeah, I got that part down. See, yeah. look, I'm learning some things. I've never here. done that before, so I feel good. I, I, I never even thought about putting an I at the end. So I'm that's... just like, I see two T's in Cincinnati, no. and I laugh every time. It's just like, I don't know about that. <laughs> we got a little bit of lesson in spelling to close this segment. Charlie, thank you for making the time. Looking forward to following along the rest of the way, both the Reds and then once training camp gets underway for the Bengals. Thank you. That's Charlie Goldsmith, member of the Inquirer. Does a great job covering the Reds and the Bengals. You can follow him on Twitter at CharlieG underscore underscore. We'll step aside when we come back. We'll look more at the Indianapolis Colts. Additionally, we'll get James's perspective on where things are at with us being on the horizon to where we can really get into a better countdown for both the depth chart and where different angles are at with training camp just a couple of weeks out. Of course, a big announcement a little bit later today for the finalization of when those dates will be for Colts training camp. That plus a conversation with Mike Chappell, top of the 2 o'clock hour. Caitlin Cooper, bottom of the 2 o'clock hour, giving us our Pacers fix for the day. Free agency is nearly here. We'll discuss on the fan. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd here in the DriveHuber.com studios. Eddie Garrison along with us as well. Special thanks to Charlie Goldsmith. Conversation with him will be up wherever you get your podcast a little bit later today. Just search the fan midday show or you can get it on 1075thefan.com. Conversation with Mike Chappell and Caitlin Cooper at 2 o'clock and 2.30 respectively still to come. James, I know this is the rare opportunity in the season, if that, that you're able to you know, just take a breath, relax for a second, not have to worry about uh, like you did last year or you were basically running a full marathon and they handed you a new baton that was, hey, you're covering the Colts now. Thanks for your time. Oh, nope, nope. You don't have time for days off, James. You've got to dive right in. Oh, man. So so I know you're enjoying that aspect of it, but still following along with how things go in terms of any last minute news. Somebody or a couple people said the other day that, you know, it is true. Most news at this stage of the 
season and the calendar year is not good news, unless, of course, it's on the contract front, then potentially it could be good news. We already mentioned on Michael Pittman Jr., and we discussed as well where a middle ground could potentially be for Jonathan Taylor. As you look at the rest of this roster, and I know we mentioned Jelani Woods in this group, so maybe that's your answer, but where, from a specific positional standpoint, and you can lump the offensive line in there as well, do you need to see the biggest leap forward from? But we can't look at it from Minshew or Richardson because inherently you would think that the quarterback position would be better in some capacity Uh. with what we had last year. So you look around, whether it's a specific spot on the defensive side, whether it is you just want to leap forward from that wide receiver room, the offensive line had its struggles. Where do you need to see from your perspective the biggest leap forward not just in training camp, but by the time we're in the meat of the season. Special teams. I'm joking. I don't know. <laughs> I, if, like, I don't know if I was I, like, man, we're going meta with us. Like, I'm excited. Like, I don't Let's know if dive. I trust Matt Gay, Super Bowl winning <laughs> kicker. No, I think that honestly, that group is probably is about as sure as any of them. But I think it will be offensive line, and we're not going to know how good they are. I believe until maybe some preseason action. Maybe we'll see a little bit throughout the joint practices, but even then you're not really hitting anybody. So I think that group just determines everything on offense. I mean, you could have Michael Pippen Jr. be poised for a great season. You can have Alec Pierce make a jump. You could have Jelani Woods be schemed up you know, in excellent ways. But at the end of the day, if you can't block anyone and keep your quarterback upright, it doesn't matter. So I think that's the group where I would like to see, if I'm the Colts, if I'm a fan, um, the most jump from, you know, the, the most improvement because they're so important, so vital to the success of a team. And we look at any team that wins a lot, they protect their most important players, which was not the case last year for the Colts. With that conversation that we had with Charlie Goldsmith on both the Reds and the Bengals, he mentioned that, and I think you feel the same way on this as I do, in all likelihood, Joe Burrow is going to be a Cincinnati Bengal for a very long time. It's just a matter of where contract negotiations truly span out. He still technically has two seasons on his deal that you would, again, expect that at some point a deal for a long-term extension is made. And Charlie also brought up a great point that, yeah, a lot of these recent quarterback extensions have been moves that are made around July and August. But he also brought up the deeper conversations of roster construction and where they were able to get at a time a value payout for Joe Mixon in terms of what he's making on a yearly basis. We already highlighted the fact that for Mixon, he's right around, he's near the top in terms of where his annual salary is at $12 million, The by that metric going into this season, fifth highest paid running back. And it's an area where with what he means to this Bengals team and their ability to run the football and dictate pace of play while also being able to keep teams honest with Joe Burrow's freakish ability to launch the football downfield and their great receiving core. Is there an area, when you look at the Colts for, let's stay with Taylor for just a second, where this could be a value play when you're looking at what contract they decide amongst themselves that lasts, let's just say, three or four years down the line. Same as Mixon's. Yeah, I think that that is the blueprint. I think with Joe Mixon, he was able to get his money. Now, Charlie Count alluded to the fact that they might not have to keep him after next season or after this season coming up yeah. because of how the contract is built. But I think you look at Joe Mixon, he was able to, again, sort of hitch his wagon to Joe Burrow, 
Now, this is before they kind of knew Joe Burrow was going to be as great as he right. is. Now, they, we assumed that he would be really good. I don't know if we thought he was going to be like top five quarterback in the league, good, <laughs> pretty much, immediately. So I don't know about that, but he's been really good. And I think that that's a similar trajectory you would like to follow if you're Indianapolis. You want to be able to hitch JT to AR, and when AR starts to turn into a star, hopefully if you're the franchise, you feel good about your options, whether that is to keep him around at a way discounted rate than what you were paying before, or to just move on because you have a guy and you can just do it by committee. You had mentioned in your piece, and you've talked about this on Twitter as well, that and Mike Chappell's used this phrasing as well. We'll talk to him about that top of the two o'clock hour. But you've mentioned that running backs and the way they're evaluated likely isn't fair in today's NFL in terms of the amount that they're willing to put their bodies through in terms of what they're still able to do for teams as a vital part of the offense. But how much of that and where is the middle ground there with saying that, well, yes, I mean, there's no doubt that the amount of work that running backs put in, that there needs to be a better baseline for compensation. But at the same time, you look at the way that the game is played today and those every down in the backfield running backs not only aren't there as much because they're able to do it both ways, right, as a pass catching back. There's still exceptions to the rule like Derrick Henry, like Jonathan Taylor right now. But in a sense... You're you're not seeing the money being paid just to be paid. You're seeing the contracts be dictated by how the NFL is played here in the year 2023. So is it really unfair, the amount of money that most running backs are getting in today's NFL, given the style of play and where the game's at? I don't think it's unfair. I think it's just supply and demand. Sure. It's simple economics. Now, it's it can feel unfair. I would feel slighted if I was a running back. But the reality is... You get paid what people think you are worth. Now, you may think you're worth whatever amount of money, but a prime example was Lamar Jackson. He thought he was worth 250 guaranteed or whatever the case may be. We never know the real full number, but he was not worth that because he didn't get it. And so that's kind of how I look at running backs. You can think that you're worth this, and you may feel like you deserve this, but deserve and fairness, yeah. all those things don't matter in the NFL when they're the ones who kind of set the market. And again, We've seen over time that this isn't the days of Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Ladanian Tomlinson is kind of like my era, Adrian Peterson, where your best player, league MVP, is a running back. That doesn't happen anymore. It's a quarterback-driven league. And as we've seen, with the quarterbacks who won Super Bowls recently, they haven't had a star running back. At least in, in the last five or six years, they haven't had a guy where you're like, that's a first ballot Hall of Famer in his prime. Like, that just doesn't happen. I mean, you usually have someone who's good enough to get you a couple of yards and also can affect the game on third down. And then if it's not that guy, you can get somebody else because you have that guy, the main guy, at quarterback. So that's kind of how I look at it. Now, JT might not like that, but that's the reality. And as I said in my piece, fairness, what you deserve, that all depends on who, uh, who side you're on and who you're viewing it from. This changes a little bit if Jonathan Taylor was to decide, you know what, I want to, I don't like the initial offers that are being made to me. I want to prove to you that I am worth this money. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to ball out in 2023. And you know what I would say? I would come back and, and he would probably still get low ball. Like, seriously. Correct. That means, yeah. As, as bogus as it sounds. I mean, as bogus, he could come out and run for 2,500 yards and, and set a record. And they were like, oh my gosh, that might get you a little bit more money. But at the end of the day, if you're not, I mean, because you. <sighs> 
I think I said this a couple months ago when I first came on the show with you all. He was first team all pro. Shaq was first team all pro. They didn't make the playoffs. So you have to wonder, I mean, a first team all pro quarterback and you got a team, yep. most likely. And so that is that's the barometer to, that you're working with. That's the measuring stick. Where he had an all-time great season and it didn't matter cuz they didn't make the playoffs. So I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, it's tough for JT. I feel I feel for him and other running backs because you can have an amazing season. I mean, even uh Josh Jacobs out in in, in, in Vegas, great season last year, yeah. led the league in rushing, doesn't matter, didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where John Taylor needs to be as as an organization that makes reckless deals at times, and then it's willing to <laughs> willing to pay top dollar in areas despite their trajectory not being where they think it is internally. But what I was going to ask you was for Taylor, if there's not an extension done by the time we get into preseason or by the time we get into the start of the season, does that give you a feel one way or the other on? Okay, this is going to be a, a grinded out contract fight next off season. Is that automatically in play if something's not done heading into twenty twenty three? I don't know. It's hard to say that because they could always come to terms throughout the season and just wreck my life on a random day where I'm like off or something like that. Or getting <laughs> just off trying a to get plane. some sleep. Yeah, and then, and then they want to drop that type of news in there. Granted, it would be positive news, so I wouldn't be that upset. I mean, obviously, I'm happy when guys get paid. Sounds like a Saturday night. I know Saturday night before week five. Exactly. That's kind of how. I mean. Quentin Nelson got his extension when we were at an amazing Mexican restaurant in Houston before week one last year. And I was thinking, wow, I'm in the middle of trying to eat this fajita and this guy's getting his money on. So I had to, you know, uh, luckily I was new to the beat. So Zach Kiefer had to take one for the team there. And I was just kind of the uh, the, the, the like, sort of like the intern at, at the moment. I was like, hmm, I'm going to let the big guy handle that. But um, in all seriousness, I don't think it would be to the point where you just, if it doesn't happen this offseason, then it's automatically going to push the next season. I think they're going to be ongoing uh, communication throughout because I would honestly think if you're not having ongoing communication, it's not going well. But I do think it'll become a thing for us in the media. Um, We're going to ask about it. Now, I'm not going to ask him about it every single week or every single time I see him. But if, let's just say every four weeks, you know, a chunk, a, a quarter of the season goes by, I think it's fair to ask you what's going on with the contract. And, and, and also... We'll have the data, so to speak, as to why you should or shouldn't get it. Yeah. You come out and you have four straight, you know, hundred yard games and you got, you know, seven touchdowns, six touchdowns through four games or whatever the case may be, and you're balling out. And we're like, man, what is the team saying about getting you an extension? But if the on the flip side, if you come out and you don't have a great start to the season, or if you get hurt or something like that, then we're gonna ask you the same thing as well. So uh, I think it would behoove both sides to get it done before the season starts. And again, compromise. That's the word, compromise, because no side is going to feel all the way 100% great about it. But if you want to be the bully, the Colts can be the bully and basically say, we will not pay you unless, and if you don't want to play, uh, you know, uh, for this money we're offering you, oh well, franchise tag. I would think both sides are in the boat, though, that they don't want this to extend into the into that exact scenario of no. every three or four weeks throughout the season. No. Because you don't know, in all likelihood, I mean, we know where they're at, what, I've forgotten it now, but anyway, what, six and a half over under? Is that right? Six and a half over under on their win total. I mean, this isn't a team that is projected on paper going in to 
achieve much of anything in terms of what they want on the field success. We understand this is a rebuild year and, a, and an opportunity eh, to. Minshew, well, okay, yeah, whatever. Gardner, Gardner Minshew might. No, I'm joking. I'm just saying that to you, aggravate you. I, I thought you're. I thought you're going to hit me with the Forrest Buckner. We don't like the word rebuild oh, no, around no, no, here. No, I was no. like, okay, my fault. My fault. Retool, reorganize, whatever. How, how, however you want to phrase it. What this season is going to be. A, a refresher for the Colts. Any any word that you want to use that dances around the word rebuild, but. From that standpoint, that's that's aggravating for everybody involved. It's aggravating for the players, it's aggravating for the front office, it's aggravating for the rest of the locker room to a point that, I don't know, it's just not a headache that I want to deal with if I'm trying to manage a team that has relatively young pieces like Anthony Richardson. But on top of that, going back to running back as a whole, we can talk about whether or not the evaluation of them is fair or not. And you mentioned it, it's all about the economics of it, of it doesn't matter if it's fair, it matters of where the league dictates what you're worth. But we don't very often, at least outside of what could have happened with Lamar Jackson, it feels like all of these tag arguments or tag disgruntlements center around running backs, at least the last five or six years. Because if you're a team and you don't want to commit long-term from a year's perspective, but you really, really value what a running back brings to the table no matter what, your safety net is tagging them. And I'm not saying like we're not going to ban the tag for running backs, but it does. It sucks for them because there's no there's no way out. There's there's no opportunity to be like, you know nope. what? I don't sorry, I don't like the low ball offer you're giving me. I'm going to go somewhere else where I'm valued. You're not going anywhere, my friend. Here's a franchise tag. Uh-huh. There, there's not a pathway out for them. No, and I think that's why the Colts and other teams will remain having the upper hand. It's as simple as that. You can't go anywhere. You are not free. You are not going to go anywhere. You're never going to experience unrestricted free agency. I mean, the only reason that Kirk Cousins, we talked about him earlier, the only reason he got a fully guaranteed deal after he left Washington. Sorry, my bad. I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off. I mean, (laughs) part of that, it could be a questionable decision. However, but at the same time, it's because he played on the tag twice and then became an unrestricted free agent and then went and got his money so that's a rarity that's the only that's why he was able to ask for that and receive it right and so I don't think that other players are going to be able to do that where you're at the running back position no less where the the position you're at is on a premium quarterbacks maybe can do it I mean we were talking to Charlie earlier I joked about it if Joe Burrow said I want a fully guaranteed deal the Bengals will give it to him they would have to also in this isn't fair, but it's just where I view the Bengals right now. I think if Cincinnati, and again, they're going to get a deal done, so this is a moot point, but I don't think we're having this conversation of when is it going to happen if they get in that, I don't want to call it honeymoon phase, but they're right in the Super Bowl high. If they beat LA two years ago, I think you see a very quick pen to paper strike maybe not but but you get framework in place much like Kansas City did with Mahomes I mean like I and again it's not going to matter because they're going to get a deal done he could say I want I want to shatter Mahomes 10 year 450 or 40 whatever it was I want 10 years 500 million dollars and if you're the Bengals you give that to him yeah you say sign here sign here because you're a franchise and and I'm not joking I truly believe that Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow are the only two players in the NFL who could ask for fully guaranteed deals and get them. I, I truly believe that that's a possibility. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go out and do that. He probably, well, I hope he doesn't. He's not going to campaign anybody else. But at the same time, 
they're at premium positions where you're not going to see Joe Burrow get franchise tagged. That's just not going to happen. He's outperformed his contract, but he's at a premium position. Unless he did do that. If he said, I want a fully guaranteed deal, then you're looking at the tag being weaponized just like it was threatened to be weaponized well, yeah, with yeah. Lamar just Jackson, don't, don't, right? listen, don't listen to James Boyd. No, his, I'll be clear. I'm not saying that's a bad idea because that was my viewpoint in the Lamar Jackson negotiation. But also, that's why he was never going to get it. Correct. He was right. never, never going to be free, right. even at that position. Yeah. And so, again, if you get drafted by someone, you, do, you just don't maintain the leverage to ever really control your destiny anymore. I mean, if you are – only time you get into free agency is when you're old – Oh, they don't want you anymore. Yeah. If they want you and you're still producing and you were drafted by that team, they hold your rights. Uh, good luck, mister. You'll be back here. Or you can try to force your way out. But, I mean, had the Le'Veon Bell situation gone better, sure, maybe you feel better about going that route, but it didn't. And, so I, and then, again, you're losing money while you do that. Only other way you can do it is with luck. And by that, I mean not Andrew. By that, I mean that you have two players that are of equal talent and caliber that are in contract disputes, you can only tag one. So right. in theory, that, that, that's right. a way maybe you get lucky and, and, you, right. and you squeak out the side door with an opportunity to go to unrestricted free agency. But those are rare circumstances where teams are often having debate once or twice what they do with the tag. That could very well happen in Indianapolis this this coming offseason if there's a gap between Michael Pittman Jr. and what he's asking for and what Jonathan Taylor's asking for, they have to make a decision. Yeah, that is a factor we have to think about. But I do think that the player who'll be more more likely to be tagged is obviously the running back. Yeah, no, I, you're not gonna not gonna hear disagreement from me there. And we've seen it countlessly around the league, most notably with Saquon Barkley and the Giants. He is still yet to sign that franchise tag. We're gonna take a quick break. Still to come, conversation with Mike Chappell. We'll get his perspective on those ongoing evaluations for Jonathan Taylor and when he would potentially anticipate a deal getting done if he sees that on the horizon before the start of the regular season. Caitlin Cooper as well, bottom of 2 o'clock hour, will get her thoughts on Pacers post-draft, where they should be most aggressive in free agency. Speaking of free agency, another name I want to bring up to James Boyd when we come back. Might not be headed to Indiana, but could impact some other moves that are made when free agency begins here in just a couple days on The Fan. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd with Eddie Garrison here on The Fan Midday Show inside the DriveHeber.com studios. James, going back to your basketball angle today, starting first with NBA free agency. And whether you want to say this is real or not, if there's actually a chance that part of the Warriors' dynastic core could be broken up, Draymond Green... Sacramento Kings, does that make a ton of sense to you in your mind? Do you think that's how that plays out? Or are you like me having a hard time thinking that Golden State's actually going to let him walk? He will be in a Golden State Warriors uniform for years to come because they just shipped off the guy they didn't want, which is Jordan Poole. So, Great contract, by the way. Yeah, I would just say that that is all smoke and all, you know, just a bunch of nothing. I mean, you got to talk about something, I guess, because he is technically an unrestricted free agent. But even when you hear interviews, uh, they talked to Chris Paul, I believe, on NBA Today. Um, Might have been two days ago, yesterday, or something like that. And they were asking him. He's like, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing with Steph, Clay, Draymond. So, I mean, he's going to be back. That's sure. the expectation. Had they not moved on from Poole, maybe I'm like, hmm, who are they gonna, they're going to choose? But to me, that decision clearly was we chose – Draymond Green and older Chris Paul for a chance to try to seize one more championship in this window. 
you had talked about before we went on the air when we were just discussing our early thoughts on where the NBA looks like to this point in the very, very early goings of the 2023 offseason. As you look at Kristaps Porzingis' arrival in Boston, and that's a move that Ooh. excites me a ton. I, I've always liked Kristaps. You look at the numbers he was able to put up last year and you know, quietly had a very, very solid year. Will do a lot for what Boston wants to be able to fix and hopefully, at least if you're a Celtics fan, push them back to where they were. As you look at the rest of free agency, I know it's hard to pick a destination out of thin air, but is there another earth-shattering move or at least a a big trending move that could happen that could shake things up in either conference with who is in this free agent class? I'm not sure. I mean, I feel like the earth-shattering moves have already sort of happened. I mean, you got Bradley Beal joining the Suns. You got Chris Paul going to the Warriors. Does James Harden potentially going to Houston do anything for you? (laughs) Is that a serious question? I mean, not like for are they going to win the thing, but does it does it do it? No, what, I, what I think your, what is your I, feeling I think that there? changes the landscape if, in all seriousness. I think that changes the landscape for um, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. I think they're no longer a championship caliber team if he goes to Houston. I mean, I guess my sleeper or the person you have to keep an eye on because he really is someone you just can't predict is Kyrie Irving. Like, where does he go? Seriously. Yeah. Does does he end up? I mean, there. Lakers fans, I don't think you can afford him. But if he were to somehow find his way to LA and they had that big three, like, is that something that would sway the pendulum in their favor? So, I mean, he's like the one big name that I'm keeping an eye on. But beyond that, these players are, I'm looking at them now, you know, Fred Van Vliet, Draymond Green, Nikola Vucevic, Kevin Love, D Lo, Russell Westbrook, like, I mean, if this was a few years ago, maybe I'd feel differently about some of these players, but it's not. So I think that the big moves have been made. However, I do think it would be very interesting to see how these top-heavy teams fill out the rest of their roster given the new CBA and not having the amount of money that you had in the past to fill out your roster. Because I think that a team like the Suns, Chris Haynes has been tweeting out like they're working out these players and these players and I'm looking at some of these names and I'm like, these guys are going to be like bare minimum, bottom-of-the-barrel yeah. NBA players because you can't afford to pay for anything else. I mean, the mid-level exception, I believe, is even higher now than it was a couple of years ago. I want to say it's almost double. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's where I'm, I'm very curious to see how it is. So, you might not see that big name splash. Like, I mean, James Harden leaves Philadelphia, whoop de doo who cares? But when it comes to the rest of that class, for example, where does a Kyle Kuzma end up? Where does a guy like you know, uh, Jay Crowder, for example, move uh, Bruce Brown, you know, they're sounding like they're going to resign him in Denver, but that's not a guarantee. If he wants to get paid, will he go somewhere else? So like those types of players, maybe they're not stars, but they're high end role players that can help you get over the top. Are you making the right move as a player? If the reaction when you leave still within a, a window of prime of your career is whoopie doo. That's, that's, that's the question that James I mean, Harden said. <laughs> And it's not. Dis- I don't know. I think he's obviously. Look, I don't blame you. I don't disagree. No, seriously, he's one of the greatest players ever. But sure. I think that there's also he's clearly declined. He's not yeah. the player he used to be. Which is, I mean, I kind of took it for granted when I saw him putting up those thirty point games like it was nothing when he won MVP. But there's also his style of play, and it's never really translated to playoff success. He had a great chance in Houston against the Warriors, you know, back in that series when Chris Paul had the injury and it kind of just went downhill from there. 
But outside of that, I mean, he's been sort of an underperformer for his caliber of player in the playoffs. And so you wonder, even if he does stay with Philadelphia, are him and Embiid enough to be a one-two punch to win it all? I don't know. Because they both play a style of play, to me, that is not conducive to winning it all. When you kind of do that foul bait type of stuff, when you don't go to the basket to score, you go to there get fouled, like those types of things I think sway the pendulum a lot more in the playoffs because you're not going to get that ticky-tack stuff. I mean, I love Joel Embiid's game, but he's on the floor all the time. And, and, and we, we see it, and this is not me being like mean about it, but the guy – can you know fall over pretty easily sometimes, and so I don't know if that changes much of anything. So look at the back end, high end, not back end, but like the the back end of this free agency class, the high end role players. Those are the names I'm looking for more more often than not. We'll throw out a scenario to James Boyd in our final segment, but first, when we come back, we'll go back towards the Colts. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox Nine and CBS Four will get his takeaways from where things are at from a depth chart perspective and the analysis leading into training camp here in a couple weeks. Chappie joins us next on The Fan. Still here rocking out in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cooks or Jimmy Cook, I'm sorry. I always say Cooks because of the song uh, from Drake. Sorry about that. Hey, that was a, pr- was a proud moment for me. I, yeah. I didn't take advantage and add it to the bio, but I very, I very well could oh, just stare to that. You, you know? should have, man. should have been the video. Great Next time, I, I'll tell you what. I'll call Drake and get it all squared away. You're the man. I appreciate yeah, you know, that. I appreciate that, uh, You too. take care of us. <laughs> <laughs> we have the dean on the line, Mike Chappell, been covering the Colts since they moved here. You know the spiel. Covers him now for Fox 59. Chap, how you doing, my man? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. We have no uh, Colts news until tonight, I guess, when they announce the training camp schedule because everything has to be an official, official announcement. So let's start there. Chap, what do you think of the Colts, in the NFL in particular, um, having an announcement for their announcement about training camp? <laughs> it tells you where we are. I mean, they, they put that release out like last week, and they were going to have an announcement. Tootsie. So, yeah, it, it's where we are. And I get, I mean, I don't know why they do it. Uh, I mean, we're going to get the information. and But th- th- I tell you, it, it's a spinoff of the NFL, and they th- there is no business that's better at marketing itself than NFL. I mean, th- this is a down period, so they can make us, you know, all the teams will make a big deal out of this. It, it's a big deal for fans, but just give us the dates. But it, it, it's, it, again, it, it's an extension of the NFL, and nobody promotes itself better than NFL. I mean, everybody bitches and moans about the Pro Bowl, and people watch it. It's one, it's one of the better, you know, watched events every year because the combine it's amazing how the nfl turns things in into cornerstone events and and they're great at it like it or not yeah i see they have an event later today at grand park to announce it and and jimmy asked me if i would be going and i was like uh no chance you will not see me in (laughs) westfield i won't won't see you there either because i'm not gonna be there (laughs) i was like i'll not be in westfield until i am forced to be in westfield for actual training camp not the training camp uh date announcement which i will find out on my phone but your loss (laughs) <laughs> I know my loss. I, you know, it's going to be the day that you know uh, Peyton Manning and Edwin James and everyone else comes back to you know right. uh, announce the training camp schedule. But That'd be something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> jokes aside, chap. You know we're in this lull, but there is that news, or we we would 
assume that it's going to happen at some point with Isaiah Rogers Sr. So um, are you surprised you haven't heard more about this, just considering that with other um, gambling violations or alleged gambling violations, you usually hear something, you know, a lot, a lot quicker than I believe now. It's probably been like a month. Well, but then we don't know what led up to those four or five with the Lions and and Washington. We don't know how Very true. long they'd been. But but no, I, yeah, I don't I don't know what else. How extensive? I guess you want all your all the details. But I mean, he admitted that he did something <laughs> that he shouldn't have done. So yeah, I suppose. And you just want it over just because it's not. And going into the off season, we all talked that you know. The only things that were left unresolved were the three draft picks, uh, Isaiah Rogers, and maybe an extension or two. So, uh, you know, other than that, nothing was going to go on, and I'm not counting the, the, the event tonight at Grand Park. <laughs> so, but, but again, yeah, I'm surprised it's not over because we want, it, it's just unfinished business that we're expecting. The only issue is going to be is the severity of the punishment, which I'm expecting pretty severe. I am. So, yeah, I, I just wish it was over because that's one less thing, I guess, to worry about, which is that's kind of a selfish thing. But I, it, it's just hard to understand how much how much deeper they had to get in to this to, 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 to come to their determination. And I expect it'll, be, it'll happen on a Friday about 430 because that's when normally bad news comes out. The Dean Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 taking some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Chap. Where's the line between concern and it's business as usual? What more do you want from us in regards to the Colts being close to full health or getting healthier by the start of training camp? Well, we'll find out whatever the whatever the reporting date is, the 26th, 27th. And as far as I'm concerned, the only one that matters is Shaq. Yeah. How's yeah. he health-wise? The rest of the guys, I, I, I've i been around long enough to realize that if, if you've got any kind of lingering issue or something minor that you you would have practiced in regular season, you don't now. They, they don't take any risks. Right. But by and large, a lot of the guys were guys that had something. It was Shaq. It was Taekwon Lewis. It was uh, several other players. And then what really hurt were the rookies. I mean, that, you know, we, we knew Juju Brents wasn't going to practice. But then with Darius Rush and Josh Downs, they, they miss – and the tight end, uh, uh, Will Mallory, they miss really, really significant time. It's sort of the that, that, that time where you, you let the awe of the moment pass so these rookies come in and all of a sudden they're on the field. With Jonathan Taylor, and although he's in practice, but but you're there with the veterans. Well, now they're 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 you know transition and that's going to be training camp. So and they missed a lot of install time. So it, it's one thing for Taekwon or Shaq or JT or something to miss time, but for rookies to miss time, it, it's never a good thing. So I, I again that, that's what I want to see what happens uh, come training camp time and how many of these guys. A couple of them will be pup. I'm guessing Tyquan Lewis might be maybe Ogletree with the ACL, but I tell you, James and I, we were talking, we all talked that in the media room. As much as I wanted to see Shaq do something during OTAs, you know, I, I guess my bar was too high, but holy smokes, if he's, if he's still 
speeding his way back or on pup in late July. I how do you how are you not more than a little concerned? Is there any way that's alleviated by the thought that maybe they're being extremely cautious this time around, unlike last year where there there was some feeling that maybe he rushed back too soon? Oh, I guess, but I mean he rushed back too soon because it came back in three months. Sure. This is this is going to be like nine months, right? So no, and not that we expected it, but Shane Steichen gave us no no help. What was it? Uh, he's making good progress, and same thing and, that Frank Reich told us. Right, right. And, and well, doggone it, there should be a time frame. You know, JT told us he was optimistic for training camp, although you know. Never trust players <laughs> on on that, but uh, I just it, it's if after nine months he's not to where he's cleared to practice, just, just you know the old Allen Iverson practice. Uh, <laughs> then, then, then when I mean what two more weeks, three more weeks? I mean what I it, 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 the the time frame needs to be practice and then practice consistently and then play. That that's that's the the hard time frame and, and if he's not to that point come late Jan- late late July again it's going to be a, I have to look at the calendar eight or nine months uh, I don't know I, that's why I say the only the only thing that's going to alleviate the concern over Shaq is is one to see him practice and then to see him practice the next day and it and it gets to be a non-issue for us We and then we can pay attention to everything else that's going to go on in camp but He's, he's, your, he's your highest paid player. He's your defensive catalyst, and and he hasn't played really for this. You know, since since 2021. You know, last year really doesn't count. So there's a lot tied up in him, uh, uh, money wise and you know scheme wise. And gosh, you, you need your best players practicing because you know once the season gets going. Everybody gets nicks and hurts, and you play through stuff. And but boy, at the start of training camp, you need to be ready to go and in in and not necessarily in rehab mode. So that that's why you know, as much as I'd like to see something in OTAs, I'd really like to see something at the end of July to where he is out there. I, I think JT will be out there. I think they were really cautious with him. Some of the other ones, maybe. But boy, Shaq is—he's got to—he's got to be available. He's just got to be available. I agree, Chad. But to kind of pivot to JT for a second, me and Jimmy have debated all afternoon about the contract, the extension, the numbers. Do you see a deal getting done before the season starts? And and I mean, I don't know how JT feels about it because he sounded pretty adamant, at least to stand up for himself. For the first time, I would say in his career here in Indianapolis, where he kind of put his foot down. But how do you see it playing out? I, I sort of do, just because his value to the team, and I realize you get the running back, which is <laughs> of all the positions, it's not good to be running back right now. But I, I think his value to the team, he's still semi young, and his contract's not going to approach like a Michael Pittman contract. You know, what's it going to be, $14, $15 million a year, which is still great money. But, but yeah, I, 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 I think so. I, I think it gets done. It, it's funny with, and, and we've all talked about this, is how his 
how his uh, comments changed from the end of the season when, hey, you know, I, I signed a contract and, you know, I'll, I'll play it out and, he, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll see. I'll let my agents handle it. Well, then he changed agents and then it was like, you know, uh, if you, it, the guys who've been here, they get paid. So he, he did a 180 on, on his, uh, it's, it's, you know, looking out for himself, which he needs to. You know, I, and I don't think people should look at it as being selfish. Boy, if, if a player's not selfish, don't expect the team to look out after you because they won't. Uh, but I, I was struck by how direct he was in, you know, we'll talk to him about my value to the team, but, boy, I don't think we need to. I, I would think they would know. Uh, yeah, I, I think something gets done. Uh, that's been that's been their, their, their history. And I realize he's a running back, and I realize he's got a lot of wear on him from, you know, the three years in Wisconsin. Those carries count, too. You know, they, they just don't go away when you go to the NFL. <laughs> but I – and I realize he's coming off the, the down year with the injuries, but I didn't think the injury impacted him as much as the crappy offense. You know, I, I think if the offense was functional – he has 11, 1,200 yards, and we're probably not having the down year discussion. So I don't think there's any reason to think that, oh, boy, have we seen the best of JT. He's played three years. You know, it's not like he's, you know, Edron James after six years. So I think it gets done. I think they need it to get done, but it it reinforces management's uh, uh, commitment to their own. I don't really buy too much into, and he went into, well, you know, when you do this, that, and the other in the community and all this, that's important. I don't think that has much impact on contracts. As well, you know, this guy's out there on Tuesdays in the community, and I, 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 that's good. I don't think that's much of a bargaining chip in negotiations. It's going to be on how they, you know, the length of it, I think, to me, it'll be like a three-year deal that's really two years. And how much money to get guaranteed? I keep going back to the to the Nick Chubb thing was was three years, thirty-six six. Yep. And and maybe what the what you look at is if they wanted to play nasty hardball, they make him play out this year for four million, and they tag him and they tag him, and those two tags will be worth about twenty-three million. So make sure that his first two years in an extension involves twenty five million dollars. I don't. I don't know. It's easy, it's easy for us to throw numbers out there, but I think it gets done for a lot of reasons. And and it's funny how we talk so little about Michael Pittman. That one's going to be. Diff- I think that's going to be difficult. I really do. But Pittman. But but JT shouldn't be in the realm of things that that complicated, other than the fact he's a running back. Yeah, I think Pittman's in a better spot, Chad, because of his position. And I also don't fully know if he wants to be back. Good good point. He good hasn't point. expressed that to us, but I'll let Jimmy jump in here real quick. But I was to your point about the community aspect, about, you know, what he's doing for the children and no right. one ever cares about what you do in the community when contract talks come up unless nope. you're doing bad things in the community. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a great it's a great ad, addendum to have on your resume. Well, he does this, and that's great. It really is, and I don't mean to downplay it. But when it comes time to signing somebody to a four-year, $60 million extension, 
I don't think it says, and by the way, he did this, that, and the other. I, I don't. It's, it's, it, it's a performance league. It is what have you, what can you do for us on the field? And, and, and that's why I get, but I think it gets done because he's done a lot for this franchise. I think he'll do a lot for the franchise. The question is, is again, how long, how long do you think he's a viable player? Because like it or not, teams are going to run running backs into the ground. They, they can talk about, I guess it's what load management and all that kind of stuff. If you got a stud player, you're going to use him, and that's why I say if I'm JT, I can get I get as much as I can like in the first two years, and I'll worry about year three and year four later. The dean Mike Chapel of Fox United CBS Four with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Chap, how much more complicated did this situation become if, just for the sake of argument, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts do not reach a extension going into the season? And it's something that winds up being played out into next offseason. And Michael Pittman Jr. also does not have an extension done. You go into next offseason with one tag to play with. I don't want to speak for you, but I always lean more towards I'll splurge for wide receivers before I splurge for running backs. How much does that situation, if at all, complicate things for the Colts, knowing that two potential building blocks or key components to this offense could be up and you only have one tag to fall back on? Well, that's huge, and I know what you're saying about which one to splurge on, but if you splurge on a receiver, it's going to be, gosh, twenty, <laughs> right, two, $23 million, <laughs> and a running back's going to be $13. Uh, so, but but I do I do think, and James mentioned, like with Pittman, I think, and he's probably right, that if he has a decent season, whatever decent means, and there's no deal – I think he believes he'll get a pretty good contract on the open market, more more than the Colts would give him. Do you think they tag I, him? I just, yeah, but it's twenty. It's twenty. Sure. No, I, I, I right. No, I, I know you're paying a premium I, I, there. I don't know that I would tag him and let JT walk. That's why it's really important, I think, to get one of them done, and the one that makes sense is JT. But keep in mind that the dynamic is you've got a young quarterback and. I, I would I would almost to a fault let things go on the defense and keep my offense together and that means the young receivers and they are young and in a top three or four running backs somebody put a, a list of the top five running backs out and he wasn't one of them I'm thinking are you crazy <laughs> that, that's that's just crazy yeah so I, I, I again and, and that's another reason I think it plays into the getting JT done. And, and again, you can play hardball and you can make him play with, with, with the, the, the final year of his contract and then a couple of tags. And that's not a good message to send at all. It isn't. Uh, so get one of them done. And then, and then you can franchise if you want to Pittman next year, you know, it's easy to say, well, let Pittman walk. Well, I mean, it's, it's just not easy to find top receivers unless they're really, really bad this year, which I don't, think they'll be really really bad you know and never say talked about marvin he openly talked about marvin harrison jr by talking that he had a long talk with marvin harrison senior <laughs> but you know it, it, it's it's just hard to always find that guy in the draft and when you get a guy the you know the good thing is you, you hit on a draft pick the downside is you then you got to pay to keep him well I'd, I'd probably rather pay to keep Pittman next year then then try to replace him by you can't do it in free agency because you're going to pay out the nose for a yeah. guy 
So, yeah, it's complicated, but I would, as much as I could, I would keep the offense together at the expense of, of the defense not quite being where you, you – know, it's going to be a young defense anyway. It's a secondary and the, or the corners and, and, and safeties. But, boy, keep, keep the offense together and give them a chance to grow together. And that's why it's important to get JT done, I think, and then try to get Pittman – next year or franchise if you feel like it but to go into next year with both of them unsigned and also you've got other guys whose contracts are yeah. be somebody's been posting about grover grover stewart and he, he's a great player but i put him third behind the two offensive yeah. players as far as extensions chap how do you see or what do you need to see from anthony richardson throughout camp to say okay, he's showing me enough that he can be the week one starter. Because um, as we saw throughout OTAs and minicamp, both rookie and veteran, he would have the best throw some days and then have right. just some really up and down days overall. Yeah, it's funny. He, he would always have the, the top play and the worst play, it seemed like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I thought he was at it. he was as advertised with a strong arm and, and some great throws. And then some of you think, well, what was that? Mm-hmm. And, and this and this was without without uh, a, a legitimate defense, meaning contact and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we're going to find out on Richardson's development by how how, how the reps are in in, in training camp. Mm-hmm. It was hard to really tell much in OTAs and mini camp. It was is fifty fifty sixty forty. I don't know. And we yeah. were only out there a part of the time. We're going to see in training camp. We're out there all day, and they're not going to disguise reps. They're going to give these guys reps, and if they if if they think that Richardson can be and should be ready to go in September, boy, he needs to take most of the reps. He just does. And we're probably going to see some uneven days, but if we go, go to some point and, and Minshew's still taking most of the reps, then – then, then they don't think he'll be ready, meaning Richardson. So I think we'll tell with our eyes. We're not going to get squat from from Shane. We're not. You know, he's making progress. You know, that's what we're going to get. But I, I think with our eyes, we'll, we'll know the progress by how they're handling him on reps. And, and maybe not so much when we start charting it at 11-on-11s 11 and 7-on-7s, 7 7, but how they how – they, view him as far as reps because that's that's what it comes down to if you, if you deserve the reps and you need the reps you'll get the reps and it'll be very very interesting because they're not going to help us at all on comments we're not going to get much from shane we're not going to get much from jim bob cooter it'll be what we see and not so much what they say i think Chap, last thing for me, I'm not going to have you go the way of Bill Barnwell and rank the entire league from a skill position group standpoint, but as you look at the moves that they've made this offseason, regardless of who's under center, how confident are you in this offense as a whole in terms of what they are, what they've been able to do from an acquisition standpoint this offseason? Well, I'd like to have another receiver in here. Uh, I'd like to have had a guard, an offensive lineman in here. But boy, they got to be better than last year. I mean, they just they just have to be, and that starts with the offensive line. If the offensive line is just good, then they should be good enough. Uh, and then because you got because you're going to have to be able to to absorb 
erratic play by your quarterback because if it's Richardson, he's going to be have good moments and bad moments. You just you just want the bad moments to be, you know, a interception in the red zone or whatever. But I, I think they'll be better. That's why I wonder how bad they're going to be because I look at the schedule. Maybe I shouldn't look at the schedule, but it's not a hard schedule. You're playing the AFC South and the NFC South. I mean, the two worst divisions in the league. And the start of the season is not too bad. So we'll know. Of course, like we said last year that after seven games, we'd know where they are because the first five were division games. We'll know this year after four or five games because it's it's couple it's what is it three division games in the first five I think yep the Rams are in there so we'll know we'll know if they're getting their doors blown off early then then will they'll be in position to get a really really good player next year but I just think that they should be competitive and they won't find ways to lose like they found historic ways to lose last year I don't think that happens again but to think this team's going to be eleven and six, and then they're running for things, I don't see that. But I think they'll be competitive on the field in one loss record. Chap, got to let you go here, but I want to say um, I, I'm glad that you're not heading to Grand Park tonight. Because if you were, I was going to be like, "Dang, no. am, I supposed, am I supposed to be there? What's going on?" No. Like, see, you know? <laughs> but, but you but you mentioned something so many times when you're the beat guy and you. And there's a there's a team event and you're not there. That's when you're afraid something's going to happen. There have been one or two times where I've stayed away from something, a walk or whatever, and something's happened. But it would take something really, really impressive to, to have me go up there tonight because I can get I can get on the on the click of my computer and I'll have all the information that those guys have up there. It's a great TV moment, sound bites, and all that. But no, that's I'm sure I've got better things to do tonight. I don't know what it is. I'll find something. (laughs) All right, Chap. Always great to have you on. I'll see you soon, buddy. Talk at you later. Be well. That was Mike Chap, the Dean, covers the Colts for Fox 59. Did you hear that, Jimmy? He said there may have been one or two times, one or two times in 40 seasons where I didn't show up to something. That is a man who's dedicated. So does that mean that you are now going to go to the schedule oh, release not, tonight? Not okay, I just wasn't sure. I oh, no, sure. no, no, okay. no. Sometimes you got to recognize greatness and realize I'm never going to be that. By the way, uh, two Allen Iverson practice quotes today. I know. I did not have that on the and, bingo Yeah, exactly. Card, not, not planned at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Well, you know, obviously it's pretty fun and, and we're having a great time here at, you know, the fans. So we'll tune back in with you soon as far as what we got up next, coming up next, which is Caitlin Cooper. Pacers guru, so stay tuned, stay locked in, 1075 The Fan. I wish the listening audience could see my dance moves here on 1075 The Fan. It was top shelf. I know, I'm trying, people. I'm having fun with it, of course. You're still listening to our show, midday show. Almost getting up out of here, but before we do, I'm James Boyd, Jimmy Cook, alongside also Eddie Garrison, and we have Caitlin Cooper. Pacers guru, Pacers genius, jump passes are good now. She um, <laughs> covers the Pacers for her own accord, I guess, on, with her Patreon account. You can subscribe. $3 a month gets you the best Pacers coverage, I believe, probably in the city as far as just the ins and outs of basketball. So, um, Caitlin, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. I know I hit you up kind of late yesterday. I was like, you know what? She's pretty clutch usually, so... I appreciate that. Um, well, I guess we'll start at the top. You know, Jairus Walker, 
Number seven pick, or really number eight, depending on how you look at it and how it's flipped and all those types of things. But he's coming to Indy. How do you see him fitting into this team as far as uh, helping them, I would I would assume, um, get into a play-in, play-off uh, future? I think the number one thing that Jarris Walker is going to bring to the Pacers is his off-ball defensive instincts. Yes. Last year, you know, they made the switch from Jalen Smith starting at power forward to end up being Aaron Neesmith, and that kind of reoriented some of what they did defensively. When you looked at a lot of their lineups with who was defending the corners, it's usually somebody who is undersized. So now with Jarris Walker, who has a seven foot two wingspan, he's really a guy who can come in and tag and still get back out to shooters and be able to close out. There's not a lot of people that you're going to be able to watch who can – come over and bump a roller and still be able to intercept a pass, a skip pass, and make those types of reads. His instincts are just really good. He's a very proactive defender. We know that the Pacers finished the season ranking 26th in defensive rating, so that was definitely an area that they needed to upgrade, and I think he's going to be able to give them a lot of help there. Defense. We finally hear it because I feel like there's been so much progress with the Pacers, but Lord have mercy. I was like, some of these games, they're not going to win every game but 130 <laughs> to 120. Um, and then to piggyback off of what you said, how also do you think he fits on the offensive side? Because obviously there's some rawness there. There's some ability there. But he maybe isn't as polished as other players that are coming out of this draft class. But I would imagine he has some upside there as well, no? Yeah, and I think that some of the stuff that he can do, we didn't necessarily get to see a lot of at Houston. He only finished like three shots on the roll, but he's athletic. He has a wide catch radius. There's reasons to think that when playing with a guard like Tyrese Halliburton, who can really manipulate you know, two-on-two drop coverage, that there might be a little bit more for him to show there. And then also, when you looked at some of his film at IMG Academy, he has a fake DHO in his arsenal. He has a keeper, and that's also going to fit really well with you know Tyrese. If you look at, like, I don't like using player comps but if you look at Draymond Green and Steph Curry and some of the actions that the Warriors run with the two of them I think that there's some stuff that you could do with Jairus Walker you know down the road that will fit with what his playmaking instincts are he's a high field player so also with Tyrese he'll draw two to the ball you can put Jairus Walker in the short roll and he makes reads beyond just you know catch the ball pass to the opposite corner he really reads and processes the defense to find the open man so I think there's some playmaking there that the Pacers haven't necessarily had and the big spots, at least going back to last season before they traded Sabonis. Kalen Cooper with us. You can follow her on Twitter at C2 underscore Cooper. Joins us here on the Fan Midday Show. I want to step away from the Pacers for just a second. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you celebrated a little bit just yesterday. When today's society, we're all worried about how much time we spend on our phones or how much time we're utilizing trying to, whether it's text people or, or get the latest stories and news breaks in, in your world, What's the likelihood, I know you shared that you've had 23% down on your screen time. What's the likelihood that that's a number that's repeatable now that free agency is right around the corner? I mean, it's the goal, right? There's ways to avoid this. you got to set your phone to notifications for woes and shams, and then you just don't have to sit there scroll on the timeline all day like i wrote in the tweet i'm not going to be the girl who sits and waits by the phone like i don't like monitoring this people know i'm not i'm not a, i'm not a rumor aggregator and now that i have my own site at patreon like i mostly write about the basketball that the pacers play so i'm perfectly fine waiting and seeing what moves they make and then analyzing them afterward i don't have to be out there following every rumor down so yes i did celebrate that my screen time was down to the Dang two and a half hour mark so we're not going to get like a top 10 of potential Pacers that could join them in free agency. Oh my goodness, it always happens every year, so I don't miss that stuff at all. Is there an ideal one, though, Caitlin, as you look at the free agent class that you would like to see end up here? 
I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. I do know that there are a few rumors about the Pacers having potentially been interested in DeAndre Hunter with the Hawks. I think he probably tracks a little bit more as a four, and that kind of goes back to some of the stuff with Jairus Walker, right? Like, will they want to do what they did with Benedict Mathern a year ago where they brought Benedict off the bench and kind of brought him along easily and coached him a little bit harder, or were they – be more willing to throw Jarris out there in the starting lineup right away. Jarris is a higher field player than Ben, and he's a better defender, you know, different positions than what Ben started the year at last year, so it's possible that they'll be looking there. But I could also see a scenario where they might address the four spot and let Jarris come off the bench. So also some stuff out there about Harrison Barnes and Rick Carlisle. Kaylin, you still there? Kaylin, we lost you for a second. You still got us? I'm here. You guys. Yeah, yeah. It, it just faded out there for a second when you talk about Rick Carlisle. Yeah, so there's connections to Harrison Barnes with Rick Carlisle in Dallas, and obviously Tyrese played with him in Sacramento as well. So I could see a scenario where the Pacers might try to look at getting him on like a one year deal or maybe a one year deal with an option where then you would have the ability to maybe play him at the four and bring Jarris Walker along and ease him in that way, given what their method was last year with Benedict. So we look at the rest of this draft class. You got. Ben Shepard, I need help with the second name on this list. It's it's Mojave King. Mojave King. There that is go. such a great name. It's, it's, it's silky smooth. <laughs> I'm a big fan. And then we have Isaiah Wong. And also, uh, we have Oscar, last name? Sheboy. There we, see, dude, you're great at this. This is why. Well, he, he, he was on the Adidas circuit. That's the only reason I know that one. So it's all right. <laughs> but, Kaylin, I guess what intrigues you about, because, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I did not watch a lot of Ben Shepard, Belmont's performances, but just my quick Google search, YouTube. The guy can shoot the ball, and he's got some pretty good size to him. So why do you think the Pacers were so intrigued with him? And then also, you know, you being, like you said, more playing to the basketball side of things, what type of fit do you think he could have with a team that is a little bit guard-heavy? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Ben Shepard that stands out most is he had a very high usage rate. You know, he's the top scoring option for Belmont. But when you watch him play, you can see how he could slide into a low usage role for the Pacers because he's – Again, a high field player, but he's also a low ego player when he's on the court. So Belmont ran a very motion-based offense, but he finds ways to find the ball and so that the ball can see him, but he doesn't beg for the ball. So he's always sliding along the three-point line to, to put himself into passing windows. He continues advantages. So you'll, he'll be the type of player where he might drift into the corner, he'll get a pass, and then he's going to drive downhill pass to the opposite corner, and then backpedal back to his original spot, relocate, and shoot a three. Like you mentioned, he scored over 1.1 points per possession on shots off the catch, shots off the dribble, and shots coming off of screen. So he has the ability to be a movement shooter. We know that Rick Carlisle likes having movement shooters in the types of offense that they run, that he likes shooting in general. So the Pacers do have a lot of guards, but if you look at the ones that they just drafted, like they all serve very different roles. I mean, Shepard is more of – you know, a movement shooter who's going to be able to play off of the advantages created by his teammates and still have an impact. Isaiah Wong's more a guy who, like, to put it into basic terms, is like a get-buckets player. He's going to be able to go create and find his own shot within set actions. And Mojave King's like a slashing wing is how I would describe him. He's, he, has, he plays in triple threat, and he's going to use a jab move and get to the basket, or he's very good and timely with cutting. So they all three serve different purposes. But, yeah, I mean, unless they're going to make other moves in the offseason, and now that they've added Jairus Walker, they were playing line you know, up to seven guards last year. I don't know that that's going to be repeatable again this year, and how do you find developmental minutes for all those various guys, even if Isaiah and Mojave. It sounds like Mojave is going to be playing overseas next year, but Isaiah will most likely be on a two-way contract. 
Settle a conversation for us. Caitlin Cooper, nice enough to take some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. As you're mapping out free agents and you look at somebody like Kyle Kuzma, is there a fit here in Indiana if they were to go that route? I think, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the difference between him and Harrison Barnes. I think that you're going to get a little bit more defensively out of Kyle Kuzma. He's very good at playing in transition, and I think that that's pretty much how the Pacers are oriented, especially around the defense. Tyrese Halliburton is the engineer of that. That's the identity that they play because that's the way he's going to play. He's going to be clapping for inbound passes and wanting to get downhill. You can throw hit-ahead passes to a guy like Kyle Kuzma. And also, I think he's probably going to help you on the glass a little bit more better than the other options. And the Pacers finished last season ranking 30th in opponent offensive rebounding rate. So that's another area that they're going to need to shore up. So, yeah, I mean, I can see the potential fit there. (laughs) You can see the potential fit given how few people that the Pacers have of that size and shape with a lot of the various people that are ever going to be available in free agency. Well, I just want to mention this as a shot to Jimmy. You, knew, you, you mentioned, one, everything that you just said, you said it way more eloquent, eloquently than I did earlier, but I was I was in the ballpark as far as the Kyle Kuzma fit. And then secondly, Isaiah Wong gets buckets. He knows that very well because they put buckets on what school? In oh, tournament? That, that's, that was unnecessary. Indiana. I'm, that, just, I'm, just, I'm just checking. Multiple schools. Oh, I, was, I, was, I was just schools. checking. You couldn't take the Kuzma win and take Look, a victory no, lap? You had to go that. All no. right. Okay. Look, man, I didn't get much wins cheering for Illinois last year, that's so I got I to gotta get in where that's I fit fair. in. There you go. Yeah. Look, I told you I'm petty. I like being petty. The high road at Romeoville is kid. for losers. You know, I, I want to go low. You know how to get in this match. It's at Romeoville. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, back to the main thing. Um, Caitlin, I'm very curious, just as a fan of you, I guess, how do you – Break down and watch games because I feel like whenever we talk to you about it, um, and you uh, obviously put your work out there, you tweet things like even just now, you probably listed off three or four stats. Where I'm like, do you just have a list? Do you have a big board like in your in your like a whiteboard in your living room where you just write a bunch of stuff down? Like, what is the setup for game night for the Pacers? So I watch all of the games live, and then most people know that pretty immediately afterward, I I start rewatching or I get up in the right, morning I and I watch mm-hmm. it, and then I. Yeah, and then I start clipping anything that I find interesting or out of the ordinary. Sometimes I immediately write about it. If it's like a one-off possession, it'd be something interesting, like a funny story that would be an example of this from last year. Is, um, the Warriors are running a play that they call quick. Good at paying attention to what opposing coaches are going to run. He noticed that signal and intercepted the play. And then when he went down the other end of the court, he mocked that signal back to Steve Kerr. So like, I thought that that was going to be a fun story to tell that maybe not everybody would notice. So that's the type of stuff I turn around pretty quickly. But if it's going to be like an arcing thing, like, oh, I want to watch every time Tyrese Halliburton made a jump pass, then that's something i gotta, I got to keep collecting all the jump passes over time so I can sit down and analyze them in a massive log to, to try to distill what exactly does this mean and why is this a competitive advantage for Tyrese Halliburton? That's awesome. I think it's really cool to, one, see the shirts. I saw Tyrese in the shirt. Can you just give us your quick reaction to that? I mean, obviously it was last season, but I still think that that's something where I don't know if I've ever had a player wear my shirt. So (laughs) how was that for you to see Tyrese in it and and know that he kind of appreciates the work? Yeah, I mean, he said, he shouted out some of my work before on J.J. Reddick's podcast. He wore that shirt after Andy Cornrows came to an end. He was nice enough to tweet something on his platform. Here's what I'll say about it and what I would tell anybody at Indy. I think that says a lot more about who Tyrese Halliburton is as a person 
than it does even necessarily the quality of my work. I just think that that's what caliber of human being he is. I've talked to him very briefly when I was in India at the end of last season, and he's just about as generous as you would expect him to be and as gracious as you would expect him to be. So obviously that meant a lot to me. We did get some more orders of shirts after Tyrese wore that down a tunnel. So um, I think he's a pretty stand-up guy and that Indy's pretty lucky to have him representing the Pacers. Well, I'll tell you what. You could cover any team in the league, and we're very grateful to have you covering our Pacers here in Indy. So, Caitlin, we'll let you go. But um, keep up the great work. And like I said, to all the listeners out there, you can subscribe to her work at Patreon. $3 a month gets you the best coverage, I think, arguably in the city. So, um, Caitlin, keep up the great work, as always. And, uh, you know, don't wait by the phone as far as free agency goes. I know you won't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't plan to. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Caitlin. All right, again, that's Caitlin Cooper, longtime uh, Pacers writer. She does it on her own, got her own lane she's in. It's very unique to her, and it's awesome. Um, I think the work she's for herself. You can follow her at C2 underscore Cooper. And uh, we'll get out of here for a break, but when we come back, we got some bets, which I will not be involved in, but I heard that um, Jimmy and Eddie usually have these things unlocked, so we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll talk James into one. Maybe. Let's bet on it. Final time here on the Fan Midday Show on a Tuesday. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd with Eddie Garrison here on the Fan. Want to give a scenario to James, see which way he would play from a free agency standpoint. But first, let's hand out some bets. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. We're going to keep playing within the CONCACAF Gold Cup after a 1-0 start to the week in soccer bets. We're going to lay two on Canada today as they take on Guadalupe in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Still group play going on there. Switching to baseball, now give me the Houston Astros to one of the money line, that at minus 120 against the St. Louis Cardinals. Also going to take the New York Yankees on the money line, that at minus 135 as they begin a three-game set against the Oakland Athletics. And to close out the bettings, give me the Cincinnati Reds to one of the money line against the Baltimore Orioles. 2-1 yesterday, 2-1 on the week. Eddie Garrison, what do you like tonight? Well, that means they're losing four consecutive games. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> I've told you this time and time again. You, That's never you been on, proven. It's never been proven. I've told you time and time again the when you bet on Jake. the Reds, when they're not playing someone who shouldn't be in the MLB like the Kansas City Royals, they they don't win when you take them. So They, um, beat, they, they won a game against the Braves and swept the Astros. Come on. You have to take it for granted. They didn't face the top two pitchers in that Astros rotation, so they got a little lucky there. Uh, Same with Atlanta. Uh, They didn't have to face Spencer Strider. Nonetheless, in that game, I will be taking over eight and a half runs. Like I said yesterday, this bullpen for the Reds is just deflated. Uh, They're going to need a sensational outing from Andrew Abbott. Baltimore has hit lefties pretty well, especially at home, so I like the eight and a half in the total there. I was trying to find the team total, but uh, I can't can't find it quick enough. Uh... I don't like anything else saying it will be other than the over eight and a half there. As it stands for you, these odds were reannounced at a couple different spots over the last couple of days. NL Central to win the division. Reds are at plus four twenty five. Cubs at plus three seventy. Brewers at minus one thirty five. Are you sprinkling anything on the Reds? Negative. Value not good enough, or just don't think they'll get there? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, not enough value compared to where they were. And then um, I just don't know what they're going to do with the deadline. Like I said yesterday, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo out until August, and 
that's your 1A and your 2A or your 1A, 1B kind of starter and ace. And then Graham Ashcraft has not looked like a good version of Graham Ashcraft ERA ballooning up to seven. So I don't really like uh, don't really like it there, unfortunately. Since you're not betting anything, you'll be watching tonight in the, in the sports world. You gonna or are you gonna take a, some time off and keep living in Westeros in your uh, in your Game of Thrones? I was gonna journey? say, you know, I'm in season three, of Game of Thrones. Just made it through the Red Wedding, and Lord have mercy. So I'll be watching that. No sports for me tonight. I'll be locked in to the action of that show. Well, yeah, until Jonathan Taylor's contract extension gets announced at the schedule. See, don't release. don't put that don't put that bad juju <laughs> on me. Come on, man. Sorry, you're right. Isaiah Rogers' uh, suspension. Details. You're trying to ruin my the rest of my day. No, today is a get off of here and do nothing the rest of the day type of day. Hey, would you rather it hit when you take a little bit of time off? Or would you rather it hit tonight? That's not the big question. By to the be way. honest, curious. I would honestly take everything just this week. Fair. You have heard arguments and have been on the side of Kyle Kuzma. You've not been against Harrison Barnes, but if you could only choose one, which would you want here most and why? Kyle Kuzma, because of his outfits. <laughs> you're sure to see some riveting drip, as the, as the, as the kids say. So him and Miles are going to fight for best. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to disrespect I mean, anybody. honestly, I they're, they're, they're going to be <laughs> in a lot of magazines. Seriously. But in all seriousness, younger player, I think a more versatile player and someone who fits sort of that timeline where you could have him here for not just one year, but I would say a few years. Look, you mentioned off air the blooper reel with Kyle Kuzma. Perhaps I'm being a little bit too hard on him. I just, I enjoy watching West Coast basketball just as much as you do. And so I was up for many a Lakers contest during his time there. Didn't watch as aggressively last year because the Wizards, but still saw the improvements that he's made to his game. I just look at, the amount of time that contract is would be intriguing to me of how, how many years you're giving to Kyle Kuzma because you're right, he stepped up during that championship run for L.A., but there there were some boneheaded plays there, too, that I just can't get out of my head. Look, man, man Tyrese is running the ship. Fair. And Tyrese, the Pacers trust. You're right. I forgot. It was LeBron James running the ship in L.A. That was probably the problem. I, I know that's all you're saying. I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> well, I mean, Danny Matherin is better than LeBron, so. I mean, that's what he said. I don't understand. Proved it. Exactly. That's James Boyd. <laughs> He'll be back in here tomorrow with us. Eddie Garrison will as well. Special thanks to Charlie Goldsmith, Mike Chappell, Caitlin Cooper. Podcast will be up. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. Just search the fan midday show and of course you can get it as well on 1075thefan.com we'll go more with the Colts look at other free agent targets for the Pacers tomorrow but until then keep it right here to 935 1075 the fan the ride with JMV is next